Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, July 26th, 2016. Today's sermon review, we're heading back to Brownsville, going all the way upstream to John Kilpatrick. Uh-huh. And after hearing what he preached, there is no way at all that that was some kind of move of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really crazy, bizarre things being said uh, by people who claim to be Christians, but apparently are not actually interested in opening up their Bibles and, you know, Checking to see if what they're being taught is what the Scripture actually teaches. As a result of it, there is a lot of deception going on in the visible church today. And, and unfortunately, it's by some of the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, authors, and here's where it gets fun, self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those who we need to be listening to and whose books we need to be buying and whose small group cur- curriculum we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. And over and again, we demonstrate here at, at Fighting for the Faith, you got to pay attention with an open Bible, which requires you, if you really want to know how to exercise biblical discernment, it begins by becoming very familiar with God's Word, in context, rightly knowing how to distinguish law and gospel, and to understand when a pastor is preaching the law lawfully and preaching the gospel correctly, and helps you know what it is, and then all of the supporting doctrines that go around with it. So today's episode of Fighting for the Faith is going to seem like quite the uh, the roundup. Uh, we're heading down to Australia, to Glory City Church, and we're going to start with uh, Catherine Runala and teaching on de- declarations. And uh, what if I told you the Bible does not teach Christians to decree and declare? Nope, this is not a biblical teaching as far as how Christians are to pray or address God. This is something very different than that. And uh, hopefully later in the week I'll be able to post something that will uh, be kind of a comprehensive look, if you would, at what, it literally, what is and isn't 
biblical uh, teaching when it comes to prayer, what prayer is and what it isn't according to Scripture. Then we're going to uh, continue. Well, funny enough, we're going to also stay at Glory City Church. We're going to listen to Finney D. Gersney. Apparently, that's how you pronounce the name. Uh, it's uh, I've been told it's of South African or, uh, origin. And we're going to listen to Finney de Gersney. Uh, give advice on prophecy and works. And no joke, engage, I mean, just engaging in nonsense. And then literally claiming that Jesus' finished work on the cross isn't finished. Y- yeah, I know. I, I know. That's like, you just go, what? Yeah, I know. And uh, and one of the reasons why I'm excited to bring Finney to your attention is because, if you remember, Michael Brown recently preached at Finney DeGersney's and Izzy DeGersney's church. That's where he delivered that really long oration about himself and twisted a couple of biblical texts along the way. Then, boy, have I got a treat for you. <laughs> I'm just looking at my list here. Okay, so uh, how do I set this up? Y'all remember uh, the Prophecy Open Mics? Yes, over at uh, Glory of Zion. Uh-huh. Well, here, <laughs> here, here's kind of the idea. is um, Every time we do a Prophecy Open Mic and you hear Chuck Pierce, um, he is, you know, basically speaking what he, you know, you know, channeling the Holy Spirit. I don't know what he's doing. Um, at least that's what he's claiming. He's speaking directly from, you know, hearing the voice of, uh, of the Holy Spirit. And what comes out of his mouth doesn't make a lick of sense. What if I told you his preaching is exactly the same? <laughs> I'm not making that up. We're going to actually listen to um, Chuck Pierce deliver a sermon. He was recently in Las Vegas, uh, visited uh, you know, a, a sister church that he considers a sister church of his, and uh, the name of the message he delivered was Our Apostolic Shift, and <laughs> I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I don't think you will be either. Uh, uh, but anyway, we'll listen to that. And then, uh, th- there's, um, a, you know, there's a claim that there's a revival down in, uh, San Diego, the, the fire and the glory outpouring. It's been going on for weeks now. And, uh, we're gonna check back in with the fire and the glory as we listen to Miranda Nelson talk about I don't know what, but, uh, you know, just to see if there's any reason to believe whatsoever that this is some legitimate outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and then in hour two, we're going to listen to John Kilpatrick mm-hmm, of uh, Brownsville Revival fame, and we're going to listen to a message he delivered at the Brownsville Revival titled, The Mystery and the Power of a Blessing. And I'm pretty convinced that between Steve Hill, Yonggi Cho, and John Kilpatrick, uh, I find it odd that every single sermon I just randomly pick... You know, and I've listened to many other sermons. Every other sermon I randomly pick from the Brownsville revival, the preaching is abysmal. The uh, it's uh, it's wrong handling of God's word, twisting of God's word, rambling on and on and on about yourself, kind of thing. And this leads me to believe there's no reason whatsoever. In fact, there's not a snowball's chance in Hades that the Brownsville Revival was a legitimate outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was something completely different, and the teaching is what demonstrates that. 
So uh, that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We've got a, lov- a lot of ground to cover, and we're, since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. <laughs> Down at an English fair, one evening I was there When I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts There they are standing in a row Big one, small one, some as big as your head Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts Every ball you throw will make me rich there stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, singing roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. So we're heading down to Glory City Church. This is uh, where the prophetess, you have to put prophetess in air quotes, the prophetess, uh, Catherine Runala uh, holds court. And also Amanda Wells, uh, she attends there. So, I mean, that should tell you something. And uh, she's going to be teaching on declarations. And what you're going to hear Runala speak is, well, a popular false teaching that has really taken root in many churches and and many charismatic churches, and it's not even biblical. Uh, The Bible doesn't teach uh, us to do this at all. In fact, this is the exact opposite of what it means to actually pray biblically. So here's Runala to explain. (laughs) Right. Oh, I like it when you pray. Things happen when we pray. I tell you what, there is so much power in agreement. That's why I so enjoyed uh, Nick's word tonight. That was a real blessing to me about enlargement and uh, making decrees. Anyone who knows me knows that... um, Now notice she's talking about decrees in the context of prayer. Scripture nowhere teaches us to decree and declare. Like to make decrees, I had... And the people at my table on Tuesday night as we were having our meal, all going around and playing my game. Who knows what I'm talking about when I say we're playing my game? All right, anybody who's known me for any length of time. Basically, years ago when I, um, I, I was having a, some difficult, going through some difficult circumstances uh, with my eldest daughter, and I, people would want to ask me, particularly when I was traveling and we'd all meet downstairs for breakfast, they'd say, how are things going? And I'd, my heart would immediately go, oh, I didn't want to think about the circumstance because it was just so discouraging. And after a while, I just got tired of anticipating the question. So I decided, well, let's play a game before the conversation could even get started. And I'd get them to, I'd say, let's go around the circle. circle and just begin to make declarations about things that be not as though they already are. So for example, 
God gives us the desires of our heart. So say he puts it in your heart, drops it in your heart to, uh, to see paraplegics walking or drops it in your heart to see uh, businesses that are, are booming and, and, and glorifying God and bringing so much money into the kingdom or he puts it into your heart to see your neighbor saved or whatever it is. Um, and I'd get them to go around the circle We'd, over breakfast. We'd just go around and around the circle and challenge them, you know, not just to have one or two, but to have a hundred ready to go. And I'd make declarations like, all of my children are married to godly spouses. All of my children love Jesus more than I do. Hallelujah. I'd make, I'd make uh, declarations. You could say anything, anything that the Lord puts in your heart. Because, you know, as you have lifted your heart. So anything that God puts in your heart. So notice where she's having you pay attention to the voice of God, not in the written word of God. But apparently, you know, uh, God's going to put it on your heart to, you know, do all kinds of amazing things. So then you got to decree and declare it into existence. Up to him. As you reckon yourself dead and alive to him, you know that you have the mind of Christ and you have his heart and his motives living on the inside of you. Hallelujah. And Christ in you, he has great plans for you. Did you know that? I've got such good news for you. The plans that God has for you are to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah, that's taking Jeremiah 29.11 out of context. Hooray! That's a prophetic word, so you can just have it. No, it isn't. That is not a prophetic word. That's you quoting Jeremiah 29.11 out of context and then claiming it's a prophecy. And God, God's looking for us to come into agreement with him. I remember hearing um, someone say once when they turned uh, 40 that the Lord challenged them to uh, write down a hundred dreams, a hundred things that they'd like to, to happen. The, the Lord challenged him to do that. How did the Lord do that? And where does it say in Scripture that God wants us to come into agreement with him about these kinds of things? There is no biblical text that says anything like this. Now, some of you may be saying, well, what about Job 22, verse 28? Decree a thing and it will be established for you. See, there it is, right there, Job 22, 28. Yeah, pay attention to what's going on in Job 22, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, uh-huh, yeah, this is the false teaching of one of Job's comforters. Job twenty two twenty eight does not teach that if you decree a thing that God will establish it for you. Those who quote Job twenty two twenty eight out of context um, and have no understanding of what the book of Job is about at all, um, well, they show that they are Bible twisters. So, again, here's Runala telling us, well, God wants us to come into agreement with him. And one time he challenged this anonymous bloke. We don't know who he is, but there was this guy once that God challenged and and uh, said, come up with a hundred things. Uh-huh. Okay. And after they got through about the first ten, they had to get start getting really creative. Like, oh, I don't know, I like to swim with dolphins, you know. <laughs> And so this guy just wrote them all down. What's his name? What church does he go to? What part of the world does he live in? And he was so stunned that over the next few months, one after another after another, random things, circumstances had come up where those very things he'd written down 
came to pass. Now, notice this seems to be the recurring thing that I'm seeing among today's charismatics and Pentecostals, and that is, is that when their pastor, pastrix, prophet, prophetess, apostle, apostolate takes the stage, uh, what comes out of their mouth is not a biblical teaching. Instead, they are really skilled at storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a guy once, we don't know where he lived, but God challenged him to come up with a hundred things that he'd like to do in his life. And and so he got to t 10 of them and, and started having to get really creative. And, and so one of the silly things that he threw out was, well, I'd like to swim with the dolphins. And so here's the thing. The doctrine that she's teaching isn't found in Scripture. But the doctrine she's teaching is found in this nebulous, hard-to-nail-down anecdotal story from some guy's life that we don't know who. Um, and this is one of the things that happens in the charismatic movement. They are purveyors of, well, mythologies, urban myths, if you would. And uh, they, are, they teach these things as if they contain biblical doctrine or doctrine that God wants us to believe. But Runala doesn't have her Bible open. She's not actually preaching anything from the Word. And it makes you wonder, is it possible for somebody like Runala or Michael Brown or John Kilpatrick or Yangi Cho or any of these other guys to actually preach a sermon without talking incessantly about themselves and their life experiences and anecdotal stories from unknown persons that you can't seem to track down. Yeah, it, I don't think they're capable of doing it. And this, by the way, is how they smuggle in doctrines that are not biblical, oh, all, all while claiming direct revelation and having conversations directly with God, while the Bible sits literally unopened right there on the, I don't know, is, is that a pew, a podium? What is that thing? I don't even know go to visit somewhere and they'd say, hey, by the way, we just had an idea that maybe you might like to swim with dolphins. And you might think, well, this is ridiculous. I'm telling you, it works. I've been declaring for me, before I ever wrote my first book, I was declaring my book is a bestseller. Oh, it works. And how does she know it works? Because she does it. But the Bible doesn't teach her to do this. But it works because... Yeah, she was decreeing and declaring over her book that it would be a bestseller before she even wrote it. So it has to work. See, we have a testimonial. Well, that that apparently means shut your Bible and just start believing this is true from God because, hey, it worked for Runala. Well, that's very arrogant. No, hear me out. I had no desire to write a book that wasn't going to touch the whole world because there's a lot of effort in writing a book. And Christ in me actually does want to touch the whole world. So that's totally fair desire. So I did, before I ever had a publisher, before, and guess what? It became a bestseller. Hallelujah. So I, I make, I make no, no apologies for it. Those who know me um, and have known me for many years, they know very well that this works because the things that I was declaring several years ago are now happening now. Hallelujah. Oh, see, it works because, hey, she, she decreed and declared some things a few years ago. Now it's really happening. Years ago, I remember walking past the television and thinking, oh, I really want to be on that program. And so I just made, started making declarations. I'm on that program. And um, because I want to have influence. I want to have the gospel touch as many lives as they can. 
Well, that's nice of you to want the gospel to touch as many people as it, as it can. That would actually require you to actually, you know, preach the gospel. But you're a woman, so you shouldn't even be preaching in church at all. Fair enough. After a few years, that door opened. For the last couple of years, I've been declaring, I'm on the 700 Club. I've been doing that for about two years. I got the invitation on Thursday. Hallelujah. So well, be- see, it works. I mean, it works for, it, for you know, Catherine Runala. I mean, it's got to work for you. But no biblical text teaches us to do this. So what do we do with this doctrine? Answer, we chuck it. This is not a biblical teaching. This is not something that Christ would want us to believe. If it were something that he would want us to believe and to be doing, it would actually say to do this in the Bible. And Runala, well, all of this is based upon, well, stories. Stories about her, stories about, well, unnamed people that you don't know who they are, where they're from, or anything like that. But it works. you know. See, if it works, well, then it's got to be true, right? No, it doesn't, actually. If this is what Christians are supposed to believe, then the Bible would actually contain it. All right, we're still under the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate, and we're still at Glory City Church, no joke. Uh, Runala has, is traveling. She's currently in the United States. And uh, Finney DeGersney, uh, Finney DeGersney, uh, you know, the guy who has the church where Michael Brown preached at a few weeks ago and we played his sermon and reviewed it. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to hear him explain to us all kinds of interesting things. You know, for instance, you're going to hear uh, Finney talk about the fact that you know, prophesying is a very important thing to do. And in, it doesn't even matter if the person you're prophesying for even exists. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as he rambles and rambles, we'll hear him talking about, well, the finished work of Christ. And um, apparently, uh, when Jesus said, it is finished, he wasn't speaking the truth. I'll let Finney explain. And, uh, a couple of stories from these last few weeks as we had a, a girl come to church. Oh, I'll tell you the first story was a, a man came to church a few weeks ago. He had told, I just, I was in the prayer line like everyone else and praying for people. And I said, how, how, who are you? How, how, how do you do? I introduced myself to him. He says, well, I, I was uh, in an accident two years ago. I fell 20 meters off a balcony. He wasn't sober. He thought he could fly. And he fell 20 meters. Now, he should be dead. I think five meters would be pretty, pretty risky, but 20 meters. So he, he cracked his skull. He the uh, Bible sits unopened on the podium there. He shattered his, his, his collarbone, collarbone and messed up his back and had a long recovery period. But here he was walking and he was happy to be alive. And he had got saved somewhere in the... In, I think he, he said, I got saved on the way down. He said, I got saved. I think he learned how to pray. It's a great prayer. Help. <laughs> anyway, he was he survived, and he's got this amazing testimony. But he said, "I said, so what do you want prayer for?" He said, "Well, I got a, I got a massive back problem because I, I've got compressed discs." I said, "Let's work. Let's start with that." So I sat him down, measured his legs. His one leg shot out straight away, and he was shocked. Ah, the uh, the growing leg trick. Yeah, that's what that is. It's a parlor trick. We covered this extensively on the episode of Fighting for the Faith where we debunked the Holy Spirit movie. Uh-huh. And Todd White 
was at a corn concert, apparently growing people's legs. It's a parlor trick. I'll link to that episode of Fighting for the Faith and the video that uh, that goes along with that episode to demonstrate this whole leg-growing miracle is anything but. It's just a parlor trick. I said, we'll do something you couldn't do before. So he was bending and moving. And he said, that's amazing. He said, well, I wonder if you can pray for my arm now. I said, what's wrong with your arm? So he took his, his hands out like that and brought them together. And there was a whole finger difference between the length. So what's that? Almost three inches, whatever it was. And uh, because he'd, he'd, the, when the bone was shattered, it drew back and it was out of, completely out of alignment. Keep he, in mind that uh, Finney DeGersney is not an orthopedic surgeon. He is not a medical doctor. And he is not qualified to make a diagnosis on these things. Massive shoulder problems and neck problems. I said, well, I've never actually done that before. I haven't. I haven't met anybody with that kind of a problem. And uh, even though I'm as old as I am. So he, uh, he, so he, I just said, put your arms out. And Truce Bob, here, the, the, his, finger, his just, arm just grew and grew and grew and grew and stopped. And I was so delighted and surprised. He was shocked. He was crying and laughing and, and he just kept doing it like this. It looked very strange, but he was just... I'd like to see the medical records from somebody who's actually qualified to say this is a healing. Just doing it, you know, and uh, he got totally healed. Come on, let's, let's praise Jesus. <laughs> it's so good. And the other great story was two weeks ago, a girl came to church. Uh, she, we, we know her. She's one of our young adults. She's, I think, in her early 20s. and she Apparently, it's story time, not Bible story time. Big boot on her leg, and she had broken her foot quite badly. And, of course, what they do is they try and immobilize it so you can, it can heal. Not much else you can do. And so a team of our prayers set upon this young girl. And uh, just prayed for her. And I was praying for someone else. I watched. They prayed. And then they, I saw her walking up and down. And they prayed some more. And I saw her crying. And at the corner of my eye, I'm watching this whole scenario unfolding. And eventually, there's more tears and a little bit of shrieking. And, and I'm, I realize it's getting good, you know, shrieking and tears. And happiness is always a good sign. Amen. And uh, so I asked them what happened at the end. Well, they number one, she was crying not just because she was getting healed. But she said, these guys, this team including my 10-year-old son. Come on. He was part of the team. And he was so excited. He got home. He's like, oh, we prayed for school. She got healed. And isn't that cool when your kids are seeing miracles? Come on. And uh, so basically... I love how he has to cajole them into a response. Every time they prayed for her, there was an improvement. Every time they prayed, the the bone started to move. The swelling went down. The color returned to her, her foot. And she could eventually walk perfectly with no pain and she hasn't had any pain since come on let's praise jesus and then we got a couple of people that didn't get healed Uh, oh some people don't get healed oh that's interesting because we we pray for hundreds every week (laughs) yeah that isn't a demonic nervous cackle is it and they didn't get it all all get healed I, i want to add that because Often when we have a, a culture like you do, like we do, of people getting prayed for, we're doing things, we have healing rooms twice a week, we have three services on Sunday, that's five services every week that we have, and we pray for dozens every service. Well, we have a lot of people that feel instant change, partial improvement, 
they feel encouraged. You know, we have a culture where we want to make everyone who feels, who's, who's prayed for feel loved. That good? Our culture is that we want to make them feel loved. Even if they haven't got an immediate improvement, we want to know that they had an encounter with Jesus where they felt loved. That's why we have a big team of people who... An encounter with Jesus where they felt loved. Okay. Pray for others because we want to give them time. We want to give them that. We don't always pray for an hour. I don't know if we've ever prayed for someone for an hour. But they were persistent. But the, the, the culture is we want to have them encouraged. But I want to say that to you because if you get the impression that everyone you pray for gets healed all the time, that would not be true. I give you the highlights. I give you the high points. I give you the words of knowledge that, that went right. We called it this person and they were there and they came out. You mean you don't give us the words of knowledge that go wrong? Notice he's admitting that there are words of knowledge that go wrong, which means he's not hearing from the Holy Spirit. We, we also miss it all the time. And we applaud just as loudly when someone says, I, I had this word, I gave it, no one was, that person wasn't there, the person doesn't exist probably, <laughs> I don't know, but I gave it, you know, and then we all clap, ah, you had to go. Well, because we want to encourage everyone to have a go. You see, yeah, we want to encourage everyone to have a go, even if the person you prophesied for doesn't exist. What on earth? Why would God the Holy Spirit speak a prophecy or a word of knowledge to you that you're supposed to pass along to a person that doesn't even exist? This is absolute nonsense. God the Holy Spirit isn't working and manifesting in these churches. These people are charlatans. They are false prophets and false teachers. They're not teaching God's word. They're going on and on and on and on and on about their personal stories, which he just admitted he's taking the best ones and not talking about the failed ones. He's giving you the highlight reel, but not talking about the people he prays for who aren't healed. The words of knowledge that, well, didn't actually pan out at all, or the person he prophesied for who doesn't even exist. Uh-huh. Right. Strange fire. What's strange is that anyone thinks that this is legitimate or from the Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to pause uh, Finney right there, and we're going to pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll finish up with Finney DeGersny. We're going to listen to Chuck Pierce preaching and uh, hopefully get some time to take a look at Miranda Nelson. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Ravage and don't give a hoot. Bring up the Yo ho, yo ho, 
Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Monty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to apologize to all of our listeners. Normally, we do parody here at Monty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances in the current miserable state of the church, uh, we can no longer parody the church because the church just parodies itself. For proof of this particular concept, uh, we now present to you um, the uh, Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. I'll tell you, three weeks ago, we did a Friday Night School of the Spirit, and we saw 12 people heal the Word of Knowledge and 40 healed during the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. Let's just go ahead and do that and see what the Lord does. You guys okay to do a little Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey? Can you lead it? All right, Brian's going to lead us in the Holy Ghost Hokey Pokey. You can Put your right hand in, put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you put your right hand out. You put your right hand in, you dig your right hand out. You put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand out. You put your left hand in, you take your left hand Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. You put your right foot in, you take your right foot out. Put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. Oh, you put your left foot in, put your left foot out. You put your left foot in. Put your left foot out, put your left foot in, put your left foot out, put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all out, you take your whole self in, you shake your whole self out, you put your doing the hokey pokey at first with the arms uh, nothing nothing real effect but then as soon as i just start we start doing the whole we'll put your left foot in your right foot in both of my knees you know one at a time i could just feel all of a sudden it's like there was no pain i said you said start checking yourself i just squat that's awesome thank you lord for new knees in jesus name come on come on uh, I've had back problems most of my life, and a couple of we- about a week ago, my back had gone out, and it was somewhat better, but it was still sore uh, up until today. And when we did that hokey pokey, and she came up and testified, all the pain went. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Ooh, shake it, shake it, shake it all about. You put your whole head in, you take your whole head out. You put your whole head in, take your whole head out. You put your whole head in, take your whole head out. And put it in, and you shake it, and you shake it all about. And you shake it, and you shake it, and you shake it, and you shake it, and you shake it. 
This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that somebody somebody rambling on about their personal experiences rather than preaching the Word isn't teaching you sound biblical doctrine. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute, well, an amount that you pick. There are four ranks in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey, and that's a $9.95 a month commitment. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner then at $49.95 a month. And Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support, because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Just a reminder, this is the last week to register for the Pirate Christian Radio Conference for 2016. It'll be up here uh, at the uh, congregation where I serve, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. And uh, you, you need to come and stay in Grand Forks, North Dakota, where I am at. 
And uh, all the information is available on the website at uh, piratechristian.com or fightingforthefaith.com. At the very top it says 2016 PCR Conference, Semper Reformanda, always reforming. The information on how to register, um, where to stay, where to fly into, that's all available on the website. All right, we're going to continue with Finney DeGersny, uh, and it, it's not looking good here, folks. This is really looking bad, uh, you know, just as far as the theology that is teaching. Apparently, God the Holy Spirit is going to inspire you to prophesy for someone who doesn't even exist. But the important thing is, is that you had a go at it, you know. I don't get the glory. I just want to give you guys a bit of attention tonight. If, <laughs> if I can't take the glory for someone who gets healed, that person who whose arms got healed, I actually didn't do it. I was the delivery boy. I was I was I did deliver the parcel of healing, but I didn't heal them. Now I can't take the blame if they don't get well. I can't take the glory if they do get well. I can't take the blame if they don't. And so I, don't, I, do, I do grieve sometimes when people have cancer, something terminal, and I want to see them well. I want to see them healed. I want to see, you know, families restored. But I have, a, I have an understanding that at the end of the day, we want to increase faith. We want to help people to have a go. We want people to be bold and, and courageous and take risks. And if you're going to take a risk, you're just going to take, make some mistakes. And there's no shame in that. Uh, oh, if you're going to take a risk, but you're going to make some mistakes. Well, if this is a real manifestation from God the Holy Spirit, how would there be mistakes? What risk is there to take? If, this, if God the Holy Spirit is truly manifesting himself and wanting to speak, how on earth would anybody make a mistake? Is God not capable of, of actually doing things and speaking things correctly? I need to be embarrassed. I'm like, oh, it didn't work. I'm so sorry about that. They don't feel bad. We don't, you don't feel bad. So I'm encouraging you with those stories to say we, we haven't got it all together. We haven't got a perfect church. My father told me when I first joined the church when I was, uh, well, I was still in boarding school when I was 15. But when I was 18 and left school, I joined a church where I was for the next 20 years. And I said, he said to him, he said to me, Finney, What's the church like that you've joined? I said, it's amazing. It's perfect. He said, well, then don't join it because you'll spoil it. Nice dad, eh? And I never forgot that because I, I, what, he, what he actually said made a, lot of, made a lot of sense because sometimes we have an expectation of what church should be and what church is often... Dis- yeah, I, I have an expectation of somebody's prophesying that uh, God the Holy Spirit's actually speaking. And having them prophesy to people who actually exist and that they won't get it wrong. Otherwise, they're a false prophet. That's what the Bible leads me to expect. That's not just some expectation I came up with on my own. Points us. I know that wouldn't apply to most of you, but sometimes can be disappointing experience. Because we have an high expectation. And why shouldn't we have a high expectation? My expectation is Jesus. You know, Jesus is the head. The church is the body, or the one want the body to look like Jesus. Amen. <laughs> well, the problem is that's you and me. We are the body. And I say there's two things we can be in the church. We can either be a thermostat, or we can be a thermometer. Yeah, that's what you say. Um, why should I listen to you and your doctrines? Why aren't you opening that Bible that's sitting up there on the podium and actually preaching from it and rightly exegeting it? What does a thermometer do? A thermometer measures temperature. 
So right now, it's got a thermometer on your phone or an app or a, a thermometer on the wall. It would tell us it's, it's 25 degrees. I'm just uh, making it up. All right? Let's just say Celsius. Celsius. Yeah, there, yeah the, that would not be 25 degrees Fahrenheit. That would be below freezing. And they're in Australia, you know. 25 degrees. And so we, if you were a thermostat, though, you could set the temperature of the room. There's a big difference. Yeah, I know the difference between a thermostat and temperature. I just don't know where in Scripture I'm commanded to be a thermostat rather than a thermometer. Thermometer measures temperature, environment, ambience, atmosphere. Thermometer. I don't want to be a thermometer. I don't want to be, yeah, this church is all right. It's okay. It's not bad. See, that, that's, a, that, that's a thermometer. I'm just like, yeah, that's a 5 out of 10. Right. Again, where in Scripture are we rebuked for being like a thermometer rather than being a thermostat? Yeah, preaching's okay, a bit long. Don't get his accent too well. I don't know. You know, music was a bit loud. I don't like this, don't like that. Shut up. I see, because you think that people should be a, th- a thermostat rather than a thermometer. If they don't like the music, they need to be quiet. Got it. You see, I want to be, I don't want to say, people say to me, oh, there's no love in this church. I'm like, you're in the church? You mean there's no love in you? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not, there, there's no this in this church. Well, then be that in the church. The Bible continues to sit unopened on the podium. It's not rocket science. It's like walking past a piece of paper. Whoa, there's, there's a mess in this church. Just pick it up. You know, it's like, it's, it's as though someone else owns the church. And, and I just, I'm a United Nations observer. I just observe, take notes. No, no. Be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Make a difference. Be the change you want to be. Because that way, you're never going to get disappointed. That way, you're not... Yeah, be the change you want to be. Again, that's a nice slogan. Why is the Bible sitting unopened there? I live with the sense of unfulfilled expectations because I am creating my expectations. The expectations I have, I am them. We planted a church in Bondi 20 years ago. We didn't know anyone in Bondi when we got there. It was just the spirit of stupid, ignorance, naivety, all the things that actually get things done because you have to have that degree of stupidity to do something for God that involves huge risk, all your money and your reputation, and you're going to die for Jesus. We'll fight them on the beaches. <laughs> Anyway, we got there. We didn't have a clue. We were, we were absolutely, after a few years, we were just dog-tied, wiped out, lost all our money, and, and really quite, quite broken by the whole experience. And I used to go to church, drive to church, past Bondi Beach, up to Waverley, where we have our church, which is the next suburb. And I would look at the, those bohemian vegans sitting on Bondi Beach, sipping their soy lattes, and I would hate them. 
What on earth are you talking about? Why? Because the culture was not yet established. We were establishing a culture, and it actually was quite hard work. <laughs> right, they, they were establishing a culture, right, yeah. Uh-huh. Along with the demonic laughter, it's just weird. Thought. It sounds like people have said, oh, the finished work of the cross, the work's all finished, it's all been done. <clears throat> i got news for you. There's works yet to be done. He Now, notice what he just did there. Apparently, Jesus didn't know what he was talking about when on the cross he cried out, It is finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's dealing with two totally different categories. Okay, Number one category, our salvation. All of the work accomplished by Christ is finished. It is sufficient. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. It's all done by Christ for us. Does that mean that Christians don't have good works to do? Of course they do. But our good works do not contribute to our salvation. And so what Finney here is doing is engaging in obfuscation and demonstrating he's not actually qualified to even be preaching. But then again, is he preaching? He's telling personal stories but I'm looking at the Bible. It sits unopened on the podium. He's not actually preaching. He's prepared the works in advance for us to do. So I think that there's a little bit more work to be done. Mission work going. Not for our salvation. Yeah, the, yeah I think you get the point. I mean, this is just absolutely bizarre that these people are sitting there claiming to be Christians and are so completely clueless about what the Bible says, that they can't see the obvious contradictions on the part of Finney de Gersney, um, you know, as to uh, the fact that he's twisting and contradicting the Scripture, and the stuff he's saying doesn't make any sense. He's not even preaching from the Word. He's just making up his own theology. Moving along. Jude, mate, what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the teams have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. So, uh, have you ever wondered what does a Chuck Pierce sermon sound like? Well, wonder no more. (laughs) Uh, Chuck Pierce recently traveled to Las Vegas and 
preached at the International Church of Las Vegas. If what you are about to hear is called preaching, I don't know. Um, and the funny thing is, context doesn't even matter in this sermon. Uh, if you've heard uh, Chuck Pierce at Prophecy Open Mic Night just kind of blathering on and making no lucid sense, that's pretty much what happens in his preaching as well. So I'm going to pick a random spot in this sermon and just let you kind of take it in, see if you can make any sense of this. Here's Chuck Pierce from the sermon titled, Our Apostolic Shift. Here we go. We will break into that intent. Now, with that, I want to do some things as we move forward in this particular season. So, Chad, if you'll help me, it will be a real blessing for us as we advance. Now, this is a very peculiar season we're living in. This morning, two more policemen were shot in in Baton Rouge, and it's just a different different world that we're living in. Now, I've written books on that. I didn't bring any of those books this time. I did bring one book for you that just got released, and it's called The Spiritual Warfare Handbook. Now, uh, the reason being, if you don't understand warfare, and warfare means this. I want you to write it down. All right, write this down. This is going to be important. If you don't understand God's Hebraic meaning of warfare, you'll never prosper in it. Look at somebody and say, I'll prosper in this warfare. Right, so you need to prosper in the warfare by understanding the Hebraic meaning of it. Okay. Warfare means you have the grace to fight and triumph. Now look at somebody and say, I'm in this war to triumph and prosper. You're not in this war but to get beat up. You might get beat up, but that's not the intent of why God has you in it. And so in the midst of this, these are changing times. I will have another new book that will be released in September. We'll have it here in January for you. You get on the web. It's the third book of that Future War series, uh, Future War of the Church, God's Unfolding Battle Plan. And this one is called A Time to Triumph how the war will be manifesting through 2026. And so you want to understand in reality what we're living in. You don't want to try to stick your head in the sand either. If you try to stick your head in the sand and think this is all going to go away, you're not. that's not going to work out for you. Matter of fact, you're going to be shot somewhere else. So you don't want to be doing that. You want to stay focused in what we're called to accomplish during this season. Now, with that, we are in the greatest apostolic shift in history since the beginning of the church. Uh, Okay, apostolic shift since the beginning of the church. I don't recall any apostolic shifts in the beginning of the church. It's occurring in the earth like never before. When you walk into a place like this where the Spirit of God is so strong here, uh, I mean, when we came into Vegas, the Spirit of God was here in a new way. When we. Yeah, I'm glad you think you felt that. Are you some kind of psychic or medium? 
walked in here, the Spirit of God was here in a new way. Do not look around like you're always looking around. This thing is different. I don't, I'm not under the same demons you have here. Therefore, I can seek. You're, you're under a different set of demons. Oh, okay. Clearly, when I come in here. And with that, you, when you walk into a place like this, you are part of the history of the future of the church. You're not part of the past. You're not just trying to make your life become better. You are making history for the future in God's kingdom because we are rapidly moving from church life to kingdom advancement. Right. We're moving to kingdom advancement away from church life. Not sure what that means, but okay. God has a troop and you're part of it. Doesn't matter how old. Is it like a dance troupe? you are, doesn't matter what you're going through, doesn't matter how young you are, you are part of God's new troop. Let's thank him for that. I'm going to thank him for something I don't even understand. Uh huh. <laughs> now with that, you want to be the best in this kingdom advancement that you can be. Now, to do that, you're going to have to understand time. I got a text while we were worshiping, and someone said, Can you teach me in days ahead how to maneuver when there is no breakthrough? And I said, Breakthrough comes from revelation and time meeting and by you going up. Then we sang that song. Right. So, breakthrough is when revelation and time, you know, meet. And and then you you know you go up, right? Yeah, I have no idea what that means. Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday, you know. If you are unwilling to go up, you'll never break through. Right. That's that might be causing your breakthrough to not happen. Your unwillingness to go up. Mm-hmm. And so, because that's who the breaker is. In right, because that's who he, the the breaker is. Right. Micah two thirteen. He's the one who takes us up. It's a name of our 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 Mashak, our Messiah, who takes us up. Now, in this season of time, what makes this such an interesting season that we're living in is this is a season where captivity is breaking. Right. This is the season where captivity. It would help if he would like get a whiteboard out and kind of diagram this for us. I'm a little bit lost. Now you look around and you say, but I see so much warfare, so much destruction, so much lawlessness. It's because captivity is breaking. People, you right. So the reason why there's so much because captivity is breaking. Mm -hmm. Okay can't stay the same in a season, and this is a season where God is watching us at your crossroad. What makes this year so Right, because God's watching me at my crossroad, because I went up. Well, right, okay. Interesting is, this is where you already go through the crossroad and stake your claim on the future. So I go through my crossroad to stake my claim on the future after I do the breaker going up thing. Okay.
for it, this word ayan, which is linked with the 10-year season that takes us through 2019 in Hebrew, is a season of angels. It's a season of sending, but it's a season of breaking off old captivity so you make your turn right. So you got to break off your old captivity so you can make your your turn right. Right, yeah. Say out loud, I'm making the right turn. Uh, I, I am? See, when you decree a thing, it goes into your atmosphere. and <laughs> it, it does? So when I decree a thing, it goes into my atmosphere, huh? Uh, by the way, his Bible sits unopened on the podium next to him. Your atmosphere has to start aligning with what you're decreeing. Right, yeah. Because the name of God is knit down inside of you. And because of that, when you speak, God comes into your atmosphere. Right. So because of the knitting thing, when I speak, God then comes into my atmosphere. Right. Yeah. I have no idea what he's talking about. Through your spirit and you release the spirit into the shaman or the air around you. And all of a sudden, when you decree a thing, it has to start acting as you decree it. And Right, because when you release the thing, then the spirit comes into the shaman thing. I I know Hebrew, and I have no idea what he's talking about. And... (laughs) All this because of the word ayin. Right, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Are you understanding any of this? Oh, that was Paul's scripture for us out of Job. And so what I want to try to do in this first service is to help you make decisions at the crossroad. Now, this is what this kairos time that Dutch teaches on looks like. It's a vav year. You got to... Right, it's a vav year. Right, which means and. Stake your claim. Okay. You've got to make that decree. This is where I'm going. This is what I am shifting toward. Now, you put the two together, and they are, it becomes a connecting moment in the midst of your new season. Now, you're coming to the... So, i got to make a connecting moment in the midst of my new season after speaking or declaring the thing and shifting my atmosphere thingy where the Spirit came in and did the Shaman thing, all because of the word I in. Right, yeah. Holy Spirit conference here, and you want to know what Holy Spirit's doing. That's probably why the Lord would have me come. I'd like to know if you're actually capable of any kind of lucid communication whatsoever. This day, today, to precede and pave the way so Holy Spirit will start doing this work in you, and you don't have to try to figure this out. Right. So if you're sitting there just with your jaw on the floor and you have no clue what any of this actually means, don't worry, don't, don't, don't try to figure it out yeah i have to try to say i've got to understand all this you can only move by the spirit oh yeah so i can only move by the spirit okay you can't move by your human understanding you've got to grab it and go with it what am i grabbing again therefore 
When Denise texts, I look at Pam and say, the last three days of my vacation will be in Vegas. God has ordained it. And I told her today, I'm so, I said, I'm on my way to speak. She said, I'm taking care of your grandchildren today. I said, you do it better than anybody I know. Now, we both have 10 grandkids now. Some way or another, we think we'll probably have two more. We have tribes forming for the future. Now, now you are divinely connecting at your crossroad. I want you to get this. You- right. How am I supposed to get it? Because the Bible is literally sitting unopened on the music stand podium thingy in front of you. Got to see you are divinely connecting at your crossroad. Now, here's something else that's happening with you. Your past is now divinely connecting, and all of a sudden, past is no longer. You're moving into the future. Uh, what? And therefore, if you continue to live in the past, you are out of time and you're on the wrong side of the line that Christine drew. I'm going to say it again. If you continue to live in your past, God has this moment for every generation. If you continue to live in your past, you're going to be on the wrong side of that line that Christine drew this morning. And this day means I am stepping forward into the new. Now, here's here's the way you want to interpret the season we're in. I can't even interpret the words you spoke. Go ahead, Chad. And let's, it's a season of war that has come to a full manifestation. Uh-huh. Okay. We're starting to see the manifestation of the last season coming into fullness. Uh-huh. Okay. You should have won your war of the past by now. But what if I haven't? I mean, it can uh, it, do I have time to make it up? Do I have like a grace period? What, what am I supposed to do? You know, <laughs> I have no idea what this man is talking about he's using words these are and it's english i can tell this is english but what he's saying doesn't make a lick of sense and there are people sitting there lapping this up as if this is the great if this is like lobster and steak this is you know, this is the walrus on the carpenter. You know, the time has come, my little friends, to talk of other things, of shoes and ships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings and why the sea is boiling hot and weather pigs have wings. Kalu Kalei, come run away. We're cabbages and kings. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's pretty much the equivalent of it. And what's fascinating here is what Chuck Pierce has in common with Catherine Runala and has in common with Finney DeGersney uh, that we've uh, listened to today, all of them literally are delivering messages, claim, claiming that this is what God wants us to believe or understand. All of them, every single one of them, the Bible is closed, sitting on the podium, literally collecting dust while they're blathering on and making no 
biblical sense whatsoever. They claim that God the Holy Spirit is working among them. Why isn't God the Holy Spirit saying, knock this stuff off, open up my Bible and preach my word? Yeah, none of these people are actually interested in being bound by what God's word says or having their doctrine determined by the written word of God. They want to chase after every strange wind of false doctrine and claim it's coming from God the Holy Spirit. But there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to believe at all that God the Holy Spirit is a part of any of these people's ministries. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian we'll save miranda nelson for an upcoming episode of fighting for the faith when we come back we're heading back to the brownsville revival as we listen to john kilpatrick teaching on the mystery and the power of a blessing stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back no itching ears are scratched here you're listening to fighting for the faith pirate christian radio theater presents death of a salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Seems like I'm picking on Brownsville a lot. There's a good reason for it. The fruit of Brownsville and Toronto continue in its bad fruit. 
continue to impact the body of Christ. It's time for us to do a real biblical post-mortem to see if this really was a move of the Spirit or not. And I don't see any reason to believe that it was. Here we go. Hey, cold. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via the Brownsville Revival. Yeah, out there in Pensacola, Florida, John Kilpatrick presiding over the message that we're supposedly going to be listening to. And you'll notice that he has a lot in common with Catherine Ronala, Finney DeGersney, Chuck Pierce. He ain't preaching from the Bible. Which is a sure sign that we're not hearing sound doctrine at all. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and back off on the music and we will get to the message. The name of the message is The Mystery and the Power of a Blessing. And this is supposedly based upon a doctrine that was revealed directly to the heart of John Kilpatrick by God the Holy Spirit. No joke, you'll hear it as we go. Here's John Kilpatrick. Well, you're stuck with me tonight. Our guest speaker, Jensen Franklin, was leaving Gainesville to come down here to... Jensen Franklin, word of faith, televangelist, and heretic. Tonight, he was leaving the church to go to the airport... He stepped down several steps and missed one and broke his foot. This morning, when I woke up, this is no joke. I'm not going to say it was the Lord, but I am going to say the thought crossed my mind when I woke up this morning. You better prepare today because you're going to have to preach tonight. So when the call came today, I thought, wow. So, to be honest with you, my daughter-in-law has been in the hospital. She had a hysterectomy, and now she's developed some blood clots. And my wife has been gone from 5 o'clock in the morning till late every night for over a week. I've been busy, extremely busy. I was in Des Moines Monday and Tuesday of this week. And so, whenever the call came, even though I heard what I heard this morning, I don't know if it was the Lord or not, but I heard, you better prepare I just walked by faith that Jensen would be here. Well, he didn't come, and so I wasn't really prepared. So I'm going to preach to you tonight something I'm comfortable preaching. Is that okay? Will it be the Word of God? Will it be from a biblical text? I want you to turn with me tonight for the next little while. I'm not going to be too long. To the book of 1 Peter. There's someone here tonight. It has been a real struggle for you to stay in the service. Because this service flies in the face of everything you were raised against. You were raised against the motion in church. You were raised against this kind of outward display of vocal worship. 
several times during the service you wanted to excuse yourself and just leave, but you didn't have the courage to do that. So you have stayed. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the doctrine. I want to know what it is that you're teaching. Does it square with God's Word or not? I believe that you have stayed for a reason. I believe the Lord wants you to hear this message. And I believe... I believe this is manipulation. I believe God's going to touch your heart through this message. Those of you that are listening by television, those of you that are listening by VCR tape, cassette tape, internet... I want to take this opportunity to tell you that this message that I'm going to bring to you is probably one of the top three messages that the Lord has ever spoken to my heart that changed my life. Messages that God spoke to your heart? You mean we won't find this message in the written Word of God? Uh Uh-huh, that's a problem. This is one of the top three. When the Lord uh, spoke to me back in the uh, 70s, a message about promise principle problem problem provision, that message was probably the most influential message up until that time in my life. It changed my life. There's a couple of other ones that's been very powerful in my life, but tonight, the message that I'm going to share with you is probably the most enjoyable subject that I ever have experienced and that I enjoy doing. I want you to give me your best ear for the next little while because I want to share something that I believe can change your life. It can change your church. It can change your home. It can change your whole mental processes. It can change your relationships. It can change your prayer life. It can change every aspect. Of I feel like you're trying to sell me something. Of your personality, if you'll let it. But you've got to hear. Everybody has ears, but not everybody has ears to hear. And so tonight, I want you to put on your ears to hear. Because what I'm going to share over the next 45 minutes or so... I think can be something that can really change your life. <clears throat> but it's probably not found in the Word of God. It's something God told John Kilpatrick. Before, before revival came to this church, I was... Encouraged, I'll say, I was encouraged to take the church and move it out of this terrible location. Um, I had preachers counsel me to move it. I had um, even some people in the congregation say we needed to move. Because Brownsville is probably in one of the worst, this church is probably in one of the worst locations of the whole county. And this church... Uh, is in an area of Pensacola that has not had a new building built in it in over 25 years. It just went on the skids. Brownsville used to be a peaceful community, hardworking people. And then it began to get into some squalor. Uh, the community began to go down. 
Drugs begin to take over. Prostitution. Whenever you talk about prostitution in Pensacola, it's always synonymous with the Brownsville area. And before revival broke out, I would leave to go to lunch several times from the office across the street in the daytime. And on the way to lunch, uh, there would be prostitutes actually turning tricks on in our parking lot here on these grounds. And I would have to go and chase the prostitutes and her johns off of this parking lot. And um, believe me, it crossed my mind several times to move this place and to change locations. But in the ultimate end, I didn't do it. And this building... So far, the Bible sits unopened. He's preaching, well, from his life experiences. Weird. When we built this building... The school was called Brownsville Elementary School. This building is new. The building right behind here is the old Brownsville Elementary School with a cafeteria, all of it. When we bought this piece of property where the school is on, along with it came the playground where our Family Life Center is now. It used to be monkey bars and seesaws and swings out there. Well, that's where our Family Life Center is now. So when we bought this piece of property, elementary school, we got the piece of property over there where the Family Life Center now is. And um, so whenever we got this piece of property, it had been prophesied a long time ago, back in the uh, probably 40s, when the church was actually meeting in the cafeteria of the Brownsville Elementary School, a prophetic word came that one day the church would own this property. Whenever I came to Brownsville, I came in 82. In 1983, this old dilapidated Brownsville Elementary School went up for bids with the education department here in Escambia County. And so they were taking bids for auction. And they wanted sealed bids. And I remember I prayed and prayed and I fasted. I was in fasting in that period of time. And I fasted and asked God what he would have me to bid on this piece of property with the elementary school. And they had just rewired the elementary school for $167,000. Now, the building was dilapidated. Pigeons were nesting up in the rafters of the school. It was a mess. But they had just rewired it for $167,000. So after prayer... And seeking the Lord for quite some time, I put a bid down of $130,005 and sealed it and sent it in. And I even went down to see the school superintendent, made a visit down to his office and just told him that we'd really like to have the school and we were praying about it and we believed that the Lord wanted us to have it and we, we was hoping that we could get it. And so he said, have you turned in your bid? And I said, yes, I have. He said, well, there's other bids turned in too. And he said, whoever gets the highest bid gets the school. And so the day came when the bids were going to be opened and the auction would take place for all these properties. And that morning before lunch, the superintendent of the schools called up here and said, Reverend, a strange thing has happened today. He said, every other bidder on that Brownsville Elementary School pulled out this morning. Yours is the only bid left. And he said, you can have all that property for $130,005. And 
And come to find out, ours was the lowest bid, $130,005. We got it below what it was wired for. And so the prophetic word that God gave about this piece of property actually came to pass. And here we are now in the sanctuary. Thus far, apparently the only word of God that has appeared is the claim of a prophetic word regarding a piece of property in Brownsville. We haven't actually heard anything from God's Word for real. The school has been completely remodeled, hauled out and completely remodeled, and it's made a beautiful facility. When this facility was finished, I remember uh, when it was first finished, I was walking around in here praying on a Saturday. And I was saying, Lord... I remember your glory that was in the chapel across the street. And I said, I remember how, what powerful services we had when I came here in the early 80s. And I said, Lord, I'd like to ask you, would you increase your glory at least three times what it was in the other building? I'd like to ask you, would you please increase your glory? And while I was in prayer, I felt really strongly impressed with the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to begin to walk around in this church. And he said... I want you to pray, to continue to pray, but he said, I want you to do something else different than you've ever done before. And that's the roots. What the Lord spoke to my heart is the roots of the message that I'm going to bring to you tonight. This is a message I'm extremely comfortable with. So, by his own admission, the roots of the message he's bringing is a claim regarding a direct revelation. In other words... He's claiming that God speaks to him and reveals doctrine. With, and I know a little bit about it. And so, as I began to um, come into the church after the new church was built, we moved from the sanctuary that seated about 1,100 people into this one that seats about 2,100, 2,500 people jam-packed in here. And so when we first moved in here, the building just filled up immediately, but the giving did not. The offerings, the tithes offerings did not come up in sync with the extra crowds. The giving stayed low. So we had a lot of people and a lot of them wasn't giving. And um, I felt the pressure and the burden of that financial load on my shoulders, being the pastor. And there was even some nights I spent some sleepless nights and some sweat. Because our payments back in those days, the interest rates were higher. Back in those days, just on this building alone, just this sanctuary was $41,500 a month. That's before any salaries. That's before utilities, anything. That was the note that had to be met, $41,500 a month. And so while I was in here in the sanctuary praying, the Lord said, I want you to change some things. And he said, I'll show you what to do. And he began to speak to my heart. Now, if someone were to say to me, John Patrick, what was the prerequisite for revival at Brownsville Assembly? I would say to them unequivocally, no questions, no qualms about it. I would say to them, it was prayer. All right. In other words, the prerequisite for revival, this sounds pious and all, but this is directly contradicted by Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes... O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law 
or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In it, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is by hearing with faith. John Kilpatrick just taught that there were prerequisites for the Holy Spirit to fall at the Brownsville Assembly. And, well, prerequisite number one, the good work of praying. You see, they, they prayed and earned the revival by their works. Galatians 3 makes it very clear this is a different gospel that, that we're dealing with than the biblical gospel altogether. Hands down, it was prayer. If someone were to say to me, okay, I accept that. But Brother Kilpatrick, what was the second prerequisite? Second prerequisite. Oh, there are more. you got to do more than just pray. For revival at Brownsville, I would have to say in my own mind, I believe it would be this. I believe it would be an understanding that the Lord gave back in those days of the mystery and the power of a blessing. Ah, so the second requirement was the doctrine, the direct revelation doctrine, not found in your Bible, of the mystery of the blessing. Hmm. Well, interesting. And the Lord began to speak to my heart, and He said, if you want something changed, stop cursing it. Uh huh. So God told you to stop cursing things. This is what the Lord told you. Okay. And start blessing it. How many of you know sometime when we want something changed, we call it prayer, but all we're doing is belly aching? How many of you have ever belly ached before God and called it prayer and left out with a wet face and said, Oh, I delivered my soul? No, you didn't. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. I'll tell you something that really funny that happened in here one night. It was on a Saturday night. I'll never forget it. As long as I live, I'll never forget this night. Have you ever been humiliated by a parent? You ever been out in public? I remember one time I wanted some fingernail clippers when I was a kid. And I had on short pants. I was a little bit kid and I was with my mother. We was riding the city bus. We went into H.L. Green's department store. And I wanted, there was a little container up there, a see-through container that had fingernail clippers with chain, a little chain around them. You know, it was shiny and I wanted it. And I wanted to pick up everything, you know. And mama used to tell me, don't touch things when you go in a store, don't touch things. It's not yours, don't touch it. And so I saw those fingernail clippers and I reached up there and took one out. And mama reached in her purse and took out a keen switch. And she just worked on my legs for a minute. And I screamed out, in pain and humiliation, and I immediately put those things back. And to this day, I'm afraid of finger clippers. <laughs> to this day, I, you know, somebody hand me some finger clippers, I want to draw back, you know, to this day. But, you know, <laughs> now, what was I telling that story? Let me see. Yeah, why were you telling that story? The job of a pastor is to preach the written Word of God. Hmm. I forgot why I was telling the story now, but anyway. Um, huh? Yeah, humiliated. 
So, hey, friend, I'm getting older. But anyway, humiliation is a terrible thing. And I don't like to be humiliated. I was in the church praying one Saturday night. And we had just built the church. And when we built the church for dedication Sunday, I had a, a trumpet player here that played our dedicatory service. I paid him $75 to come from Mobile to play his trumpet for our dedication service. And it was awesome. We had a powerful day. The place was packed. And I've always wanted brass in the church that I pastor. I've always wanted a great, powerful Pentecostal choir. And I wanted brass. And so for our dedication, I could just hear brass. And so I called this guy. And I said, would you come? He said, yeah, I'll come, but it's going to cost $75. I said, well, come on and I'll pay you. So I paid him. And after he came here and played that day, it was powerful. And I said, oh, man, this is great. So after the dedication, we came back, several services. There was no brass. Uh, We had built an orchestra pit up here in in the choir area. There was an orchestra pit, a recessed area. And when I built that orchestra pit, I built it by faith that it was going to be filled with trumpet players and trombones and French horns and that kind of stuff. That's what I wanted to see. That's what I wanted to hear. We'd been here about a month or two, and there was nobody in that orchestra pit, period. And so I even called this guy back from Mobile, and I said, Hey, would you consider coming over here every week and letting me give you a little bit of money to play for us? He said, No. It made me so mad, friend. I couldn't even pay somebody to come in the orchestra pit and play. And so I'd sit on the platform and it would be just like a thumb in your eye, you know, just in your face. There's an orchestra pit, nobody in there, good singing choir, but no brass. And so I came in here one Saturday night, the lights were out, and I came in here and I started praying. I walked down in the orchestra pit in the dark and I called it prayer. And it went something like this. (laughs) And I started bellyaching to God about nobody being in the orchestra pit. No brass. I said, God, I've always had wonderful churches. We've always had great music. But Lord, there's been no brass. And I said, Lord, what's wrong? And then I just started complaining to God. And he took his switch out. And he stung my legs. And here's what I heard him say. And it so humiliated me when I heard the Lord say it to me in my spirit. So here comes, apparently, a word from God. Didn't hear it audibly, but he said it in my spirit. Here's what he said. He said, well, stop cursing it. Apparently, he yelled at it. Well, how was John Kilpatrick supposed to know that he was cursing without a, well, something from the written word of God that teaches this doctrine? And when I heard the Lord say that, it embarrassed me so bad, I left the church, quit praying, and went home. Now, I'm a quick study. When, God, when you embarrass me, friend, you won't have to embarrass me again. You know what I'm saying? And so I went home, and all week long, I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking, well, what did I do so wrong? Why did the Lord say stop cursing it? Then I went back over the prayer in my mind that I called a prayer, and I realized it wasn't a prayer at all. I was actually cursing the orchestra pit. So all week long... You were, quite accidentally, without even knowing it. Wow, that's interesting. Long, I was preparing to come back in here on Saturday, and when I came back in on the following Saturday, I walked in, I was ready. I walked in here in the darkness like I did the week before, stepped down the orchestra pit, and here's what I said. I said, Lord... First of all, I apologize. I said, I'm sorry. 
for what I said last week. I said, the Bible says, enter into your courts with thanksgiving and your gates with praise. I didn't do that, Lord. I said, I'm sorry. And then I said to the orchestra pit, an inanimate object, I said, orchestra pit, I'm sorry. Uh Uh-huh. So now we've taken a biblical verse out of context, you know, about entering his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And apparently turned it into, well, because you didn't do that, you ended up cursing. And so you apologized to an inanimate object. Wow, where in the Bible are we taught to do that? Answer, we're not. This is not a biblical doctrine. This is a doctrine that has arrived via a direct revelation to John Kilpatrick. And I said, I call back and I apologize for everything I said last week. And I said, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to give me another shot at it. And so I stepped down in that orchestra pit like a priest. This time my head wasn't hanging. This time my shoulders wasn't slumping. This time there wasn't a whimper in my voice. This time I lifted my head erect. I held my hands up like a priest. And I blessed for the first time in my life. I blessed the orchestra pit. And here's a little bit of something like I said. I can't remember it all. But I said, orchestra pit. I said, I bless you. I said, you were built to be filled. You were built for sounds, resounding sounds, anointing sounds to come out of you. Powerful sounds to come out of you that will stir an audience and will go along with praise and worship. And I said, I bless you to the point that people that sits in the audience that I don't even know that plays brass, you're going to become so attractive that when they come to this church, they're going to ask, can I play in that orchestra pit? And I said, even people that drive by this church that play, that may not even be saved, I said, when they drive by this church and they play brass, I said, may the Lord have to save them. But I said, I'm calling them in. I'm making you so attractive that when people drive by, that's ranked sinners, they'll want to play in you. Mm -hmm. This sounds a lot like the word of faith heresy. This is nowhere taught in Scripture. And man, when I walked out of that orchestra pit that time, I I felt different. It's like, whoa. And I felt proud of myself. And I was like, Lord, what do you think about that? (laughs) Well, listen, here's what happened. A couple of weeks went by and I got a call from a guy. He's in the church now, right here in Brownsville. I used to pastor him in Warner Robins when I pastored in Warner Robins, Georgia. Pastored him for many years, about six years. And they left. He was a captain at the time. Moved to Plattsburgh, New York. Became a colonel in the Air Force. He called me and he said, Brother John, he said, going to be coming down. He said, I've got an opportunity to try out at ROTC over at Pensacola High School. He said, there's others in the, they're vying for this position as ROTC instructor. And he said, I'm retired now. And he said, I'm going to be in Pensacola. And he said, hey, listen. I said, man, listen, if you're coming to Pensacola, stay with me and Brenda. Be glad to have you. We'll put you up in our bedroom. I said, come on. And he said, you want us to? I said, sure. And so we got ready to hang up. He said, oh, by the way, he said, listen, there's one thing I forgot to tell you. He said, all those years you knew me in Warner Robins, he said, I never told you that I play a trumpet. And he said, would you mind if I bring my trumpet with me when I come? And I said, nah. And so he came and brought his trumpet. This is no joke. On Sunday night, the Spirit of the Lord came in this place. 
He played that trumpet. Now, he's a good trumpet player, but he's not this good. But he played that trumpet. God so kissed it because we had blessed that orchestra pit. It was a shattering and a breaking of a barrier. There was the first one. And I told him when he came. I see. So his trumpet playing shattered a barrier. Right. Yeah. Where do we find this particular type of barrier discussed in Scripture? came, I said, you're going to get this job. He said, how do you know? I said, I got connections. And I said, you're going to get this job. And I said, I'll tell you what else you're going to do. I said, you're going to play that trumpet in this choir, in this orchestra pit. And I said, when you come, the barrier is going to be broken and others are going to begin to come in. And did you know it wasn't but just a short period of time? We had to ask people to please stay out of the orchestra pit that had instruments. We didn't have room for them. So yeah, all because he blessed it rather than cursed it. Yeah. After the Lord revealed that to me about the orchestra pit and he stung my legs, so to speak. And he rebuked me and said, well, stop cursing it. Yeah, he rebuked you without you ever having any knowledge of this doctrine because it's not in the Bible. All of a sudden, I began to understand that just as I had done that to the orchestra pit, I had done it to my family. And just as I had done it to my family... I had done it to maybe my congregation. And just as I'd done it to my congregation, I'd done it to myself. And when the Lord broke that barrier in my mind about that stupid orchestra pit, it's like it opened up a whole panorama of things in my life where the Lord was beginning to show me where I had cursed, not cussed, but cursed some areas in my life. I called my boys home. John Michael wasn't married. He was in Lee College. And Scott was married and had some children. I called him home. And in our house, we'd always have, when we got ready for family gatherings, I'd sit in my chair. The boys would sit on the fireplace and Brenda would sit in my lap. And so I called my boys home and I said, listen, I said, I'd like to ask you to forgive dad. I said, um, I'm sure down through the years being an imperfect parent, I have said some things that in, in the way of uh, things that I didn't want to see come to pass in your life, but maybe I set them out of fear or out of control, trying to control you. And I said, I'd like to ask you to please forgive me. And I said, Brenda, I'd like to ask you to forgive me for anything that I've ever said to you in a way of cursing you. And the boys naturally they said, oh, Dad. I said, no, 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 listen, I'm serious. I said, please forgive me. They said, we forgive you. And then I laid my hands on my boys and I blessed them. And I blessed Brenda. And then, the first thing that I ever blessed besides the orchestra pit was my home. And I got a vial of oil, and I went through my house, and I began to anoint the lintel over the doorpost of the rooms going into different rooms of my house when I lived over in Dunmire Woods. And so, I anointed the wood part over the door, and over the bedroom I would speak blessings of rest. Over the bathroom door, I would speak blessings of health. Over the den and over the kitchen, I would speak blessings of fellowship. Teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. This is not found in the Bible. Sounds so pious, though. I mean, he did, after all, anoint, you know, the lintels of his doors and things like that. But, I mean... Prayers to the Virgin Mary sound, well, just as viable as the stuff he's doing. 
and sounds of joy to resound from the walls of our home. And I begin to speak different blessings, and I've got them written down. Matter of fact, if you'd like to have a copy, I'll be glad to give you a copy if you'll contact the church. Oh, yeah, just, you know, they're, they're not in your Bible. You can't actually turn to a biblical text to, you know, to find these, but he'll be happy to send them to you. But I've got a blessing that I wrote out over my house. And when I begin to bless my house, immediately my house begins to feel different. Immediately. Oh, well, see, there's a testimonial right there. It just felt different. Okay. My rest was deeper and sweeter. Our relationship, which has always been wonderful, but our relationship was just so much sweeter. And the communion in our house was sweeter. The atmosphere in our house was sweet. Now, let me tell you a cute little story. Then we would have communion in our home. Not only would I bless it, but we'd have communion in our home. Let me tell you a sweet little story. Whenever we had to move because we lost our privacy, whenever we put that house up for sale, the real estate lady said that a couple of van loads of real estate agents came out to our house to look at our house, you know, just to walk through it. And she said when these seasoned real estate agents that never really talks to one another much, you know, never really fellowship much, they just sort of walk in houses and get back in the van, drive to the next one, walk through and get in. And she said, Pastor, when they came in your house, these two van loads of, of real estate people, she said they just stopped. And said all of a sudden they became chummy. And they said, hey, Mom, how you doing? How's your mama doing? Bob, tell me about your boy. Where's he at, Auburn? Tell me about him a little bit, you know. And the women began to fellowship, and she said, they congregated in your bedroom bathroom. And she said, here's all these seasoned real estate agents, and they're in your bathroom, and in your bedroom, and so they're just laughing, and he ought, and she said, they stayed and stayed. And I said, mm-hmm. You know what that told me? That told me that even when ranked sinners come into a place where blessings of the Lord are, it'll even change them. I'm surprised he's not selling these blessings. Yeah, you know, send in your $1,000 seed offering if you want the realtors to chum it up inside of your house. I mean, wow. And yet the Bible sits unopened. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? So I began to say to myself, okay, now if they came to my house and my house was blessed and we had spoken blessings over the bedrooms and the bathrooms and the den and all that in the kitchen and we had spoken the blessings and it changed them and they stayed there and wanted to fellowship. Then the Lord began to speak to me and he said, I want you at Brownsville to begin to go in now to the choir. And he said, what you did... Yeah, did you bless the choir yet? You might want to bless your parking lot, too, you know. ...in the orchestra pit, I want you to take every, every week, and I want you to anoint your finger with a little bit of oil, and I want you to anoint the wood on the bottom of those uh, choir seats. And the Lord said, I want you to back off, lift your hands like a priest, and I want you to begin to bless the choir. Don't complain about the kind of worship you're getting. Don't complain about the kind of songs they're singing. Just bless the choir. And so I took my finger, anointed it with oil. 
I'd go through there and I'd anoint every choir seat. Wasn't as many as there is now. But I would anoint every choir seat, and after I'd anoint him, I'd back off on this side of the glass. I'd stand there, hold my hands up like this, and I would speak a pastoral blessing over the choir. And here's some of the things I would say. I'd say, choir, I bless you in the name of Jesus. I said, I bless you for an anointing to so come upon you, and growth to so come in this choir, and for God to bring people in this choir from all over the place. That has ta- Notice, he's not actually praying. He's decreeing and declaring. Uh-huh. No biblical text says to do this. Talent and ability, but lives godly lives and holy lives. And I said, I speak in the name of Jesus that you stand there and that sounds come from this choir loft that will literally touch the ends of the earth. I didn't even know what I was saying. Then the Lord spoke to me and he said, now go and start stretching your hands over every section of pews. And every Saturday night, it was a ritual. It didn't become a religious ritual, but it became a ritual. I'd come over here and I'd stand here over this section of pews in the dark, stretch my hands out and just begin to bless these pews. I would come and bless this section of pews and then I'd go in between the gap here and I'd bless this section of pews. I'd bless that section of pews, this section of pews, that section of pews. Do the same over the whole building. I'd speak blessings over the pews that was empty. And here's what I would say. I'd say, Lord, there's empty pews in this church. But I said, I don't see them empty, but I bless them. For you, by your spirit, to bring in people that want to know you, love you, honor you, serve you, and worship you. And that's hungry for your word. And they're people of integrity and want to help us build the kingdom of God. Well, if people are there hungry for the word of God, they're starving right now. They're not hearing anything that's actually the word of God. And I said, the people that have the wrong spirit about them, the people that are not right with you, that are hypocritical, and they're not living the way they ought to be living, I said, I ask you to block them. They may come, but I ask you to block them from getting intricately involved in this church. And I said, I ask you then to remove them and replace them with people that want to know you, love you, honor you, serve you, and worship you. And people that are hungry for your word and have integrity. Are you listening to me? Now watch this. Then I went up in the balcony. And I did the same thing in the balcony. Then I took anointing oil. And I would put it on my tongue and I would gag. I'd, st- I'd stand here in the dark, take anointing oil, anoint my tongue, and I would bless myself as the pastor of the church. And I'd say, Lord, I don't know how to preach. I've never learned the art of preaching. And I said, You're not preaching at the moment. That would require you to actually exegete a biblical text. I said, Lord, I'm not real smart. But I said, if you give me favor, and if you touch me, you can give me something worth hearing, and you can use me. And I said, Lord, 
Everything that I've ever thought about myself and said against myself in the way of a curse, I break it right now in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus and I ask you, Lord, would you send a fresh anointing on me? And I would anoint my tongue and gag every week. And I would taste that anointing oil. But when I'd lay down on Saturday night getting ready to come in on Sunday, I'd always sleep that anointing oil going down my throat. And then I would stand in here and I would begin to speak to the atmosphere of the building. And I would bless the atmosphere of the building. Really, an atmospheric blessing. Wow, that's not found in the Bible either. And here's some of the things I would say. I'd say atmosphere. I say, if you're religious, I break you in the name of Jesus. I say, I... And here's the odd part. All of this is really religious, but it's not Christianity. I don't know what this is. Speak that an atmosphere so prevail in this place that the glory of God can come and settle three times, at least three times greater than it was in the other building. And I said, Lord, let your glory so settle in this place. I bless it for your glory to so settle in this place that I said, God, you'll do a work that will set tongues wagging around the world. Now, I'm not telling you these things to make you think that I brought the Browns revival because I didn't. But I'm telling you one thing. I do believe with all my heart. Wait a second. You said the two things that were required for the Brownsville revival to appear in Brownsville uh, were prayer and this doctrine that you're preaching on right now. All of these blessings that you gave, you know, blessing your tongue and gagging and, and blessing the choir loft and the, and the orchestra pit and, and your house. And I, I hope you blessed your doghouse too, you know. That beginning to move into this realm and arena of blessings, I believe it helped set the stage for what God wanted to do. Prayer, prayer banners, yes, that was powerful, that was important. But the blessings was just as important. And so I blessed my family. I blessed, and then I preached on blessings. Went home one Sunday afternoon. I ate lunch. Went into my den. I mean, my office at home. Picked up a yellow legal pad, a pencil, and I sat there and wrote out a blessing that I was going to start speaking over Brownsville every week in this church. And I, I never erased a word. It just flowed out of me. It just flowed out of me. I wrote several blessings. And I have spoken them in this church for years. Just recently, I wrote a blessing called the tithers blessing that now I speak it every Sunday over the congregation before the tithes and offerings are received. And it is amazing the miracles that have broken forth in this church, financial miracles that are broken forth in this church because of speaking out tithers blessing. Now, Wow, the tither's blessing. We should publish that on the Internet so all the churches can benefit from this tither's blessing. Right, yeah. 35 minutes into this sermon, and still the Bible sits unopened. I said all that to say this. If you want something changed, don't curse it. Bless it. If you ever get thrown in the lion's den, don't go in there cursing them lions. They'll eat you up. If you ever get thrown in the lion's den, go in there and bless every lion in the house. Lion, come here, Leo. I yeah, this is just nonsense. I bless you in the name of Jesus. You ain't hungry. 
You ain't hungry. You so full you couldn't eat another mouthful. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Now lay down over there and be blessed with peace. Shalom to you, son. Are you listening to me? If you <laughs> if you walk in that lion's den and say, Oh my God, how did he let me wind up in here? You know what I'm saying? God, I just don't understand. Everything goes so wrong. He's going to eat you alive. Listen, if you want something changed, stop cursing it and start blessing it. If you got a house that won't sell, go through there and bless it. Anoint it and bless it. If you got a car. Yeah, you know, just anoint it and bless it and then your house will sell. You know, the Roman Catholics, they uh, bury a statue of uh, St. Joseph in their front yard to help them sell their houses. Yeah, it's weird because what you're saying to do is um, just as biblical as burying a statue of St. Joseph in your front yard. No. If you got a husband. <laughs> if you hadn't got a husband. Get the church directory. Whoa. Man, lights went on then, didn't they? Look in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Finally, 37 minutes, 26 seconds without the written word of God. How much do you want to bet he's going to twist this text? <laughs> First Peter chapter 3, verse 8. You might say, Brother Kilpatrick, what has this got to do with anything in regard to revival? Everything. Everything. Now listen to me just for a moment. I preached a message last Sunday in here out of the book of Numbers and I was talking about murmuring and criticism and being negative. Not because the church needed it or not because I've heard anything, but the first of the year the Lord began to speak to my heart and He said, what I'm going to do, He said, just as you have spoken that blessing over the church, the tither's blessing, and miracles have broke out and testimonies have erupted from you speaking that tither's blessing, he said, I'm taking you somewhere new. And he said, just as that has happened, he said, the congregation will follow you. And he said, I want to move you into another dimension of blessings. And then the Lord began to speak to my heart and he said, I want you to ask the people, don't tell them to raise their hand or make a vow or even a covenant or a commitment. Tell them not to do it right now. But tell them to start thinking about this question. And here's the question I asked Brownsville. I said, this year in 2002, if you were asked to make a commitment and to make a resolution, that's a, that's a weak word, resolution, much different from a vow. But could you bring yourself to make a resolution that by the grace of God this year, you won't let a negative word come out of your mouth or a critical word 
Hmm, this sounds like manipulation to me. Oh yeah, why don't you want any negative words being spoken? Because people are on to kill Patrick. They know the Brownsville revival is a sham. He's teaching false doctrine. So what do you do? You act like a cult leader. Oh, God spoke to me this. And God wants you to make a vow that you're not going to say anything negative so we can keep raking in the cash. Uh Uh-huh. Come out of your mouth. I said, could you do that? And the congregation groaned. And the reason why we groaned is because all of us understands our flesh, and our old man, and we all understand how hard it is sometimes. Sometimes we're spiritual, a lot of the times we're carnal. And sometimes we're close to God, and sometimes we're not close to God. And when we're not close to God, it's just automatic that the tongue goes into gear and begins to speak all kind of stuff. Can you imagine some of the things down through the years that has been spoken over you I'm not talking about confession, friend. Now listen to me. I'm in a different realm here. I'm not talking about confession. I believe in the power of confession, but I don't believe in it to the extreme that many people preach it. And many books are written about it. I don't believe in it to that extreme, but I do believe in it. But I'm not talking about the power of confession now. I'm talking about blessings and curses. Can you imagine, just think back sometime. Sometime you even dream about it. Many times... Now, notice he's had everybody open to First Peter chapter 3, verse 8, which means we're going to be reading God's Word out of context. And he hasn't even read it yet. 40 minutes, 41 seconds still, the Bible has not made an official appearance in this sermon. Things that people have said about you and upon you, spoken upon you, still rises up to this day like an invisible hand out of murky waters and grabs hold of you and you still feel the power of those words that were spoken over you by an authority figure. Be it a father, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a principal, a pastor, a youth pastor, a dear friend that you loved and was loyal to. Even to this day, it's like a murky hand, a hand coming up out of murky water and grabs you. And it seems like you go so far and that thing grabs you and affects you to this day. And it's like you can't get past the influence of those words. And that's called a curse. Now, a curse is... Where in the Bible is that? Call the curse. I'd like to see that text, please. I'd like to uh, see what God has revealed regarding this concept. It's much different than cussing. Cussing is profanity. Cursing, if you boil it down, cursing means speaking that upon yourself or upon your life or upon your situation, upon your family or someone else, what you don't want to see come to pass. That's a curse. Now, a blessing is speaking what you do want to see come to pass. I used to think... Yeah, again, where are you getting these definitions from? I'd like to see it in the Bible. Whenever I was much younger, I used to think whenever the old patriarchs and the old prophets of the Bible used to uh, to, uh, bless their children like Jacob blessing all of his 12 sons in the book of Genesis, I used to think he's prophesying. 
And I thought, my Lord, what a poetic prophecy. But I've come to understand as I've gotten older and understand the Bible better and understand the mystery and the power of a blessing better, I have come to understand that speaking a blessing is not prophesying. It's speaking that which you desire to see come to pass in the way of posterity. A curse. Why do people curse? i tell you two reasons. One is fear and the other is control. When a child is doing something and you feel like you're losing control of him, you'll say things to him to shock him, to try to pull him back in line to intimidate him or intimidate her. And that's not the way to do it, but you're actually cursing him. You listening to me? Oh, no. Accidental curses. Yeah, through bad parenting. Who knew? You're trying to pull them back in line, so you're trying to control them, and the way you're trying to control them is by saying some really drastic things over them. Now, in the book of Peter, I want to show you something that's really, to me, it's profound. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, Finally be ye all of one mind, have compassion one of another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, don't render evil for evil, or railing for railing. Contrawise, blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. Now everybody look this way. This is clockwise. Let me turn around so you see. This is clockwise. That's the way the clock goes, around like this. Counterclockwise is this way. See? The Bible says, don't render evil for evil, which is so easy. And don't render accusation and manipulation and control, which is so easy. Don't speak out of fear which is so easy. Don't speak out of just carnality, which is so easy. But the Bible says, but contrawise. Go against the grain. It says, speak blessings. It says, because you are thereunto called to bless. Now the Apostle Peter here is writing and he's saying, don't render evil for evil. When somebody blasts you, don't blast them back. And it says, when they rail against you, don't rail against them. You know, I used to think a long time ago that we could ask God to bless our enemies and we could go to God in prayer and bless our enemies and the Lord take care of things. But the Lord never said to ask Him to bless your enemies because God can't bless sin. He says, you bless your enemies. Don't ask me to do it. You do it. You bless your enemies. If so- uh, what? Now you're adding to Scripture. Somebody does you wrong, if something goes haywire, if something goes drastic, terrible, don't get up and rail about it. Don't call your husband. Don't call your family. Don't call your in-laws. Don't call other church members and get on the phone and rail, evil for evil and railing for railing. It says, contrawise, blessing. It says, because... You are thereunto called to bless. Now, let me go back to this business for a minute about about, um, 
I used to think that blessing was prophesying. I've read the blessings of Jacob when Jacob would bless his boys. And he said, you'll be a fruitful bough hanging over a wall and all that stuff. And it's just great. But you know what? That was not coming out of his spirit in a way of prophecy. It was coming out of his heart because that daddy in a paternal way understood his child and like anybody else. And that old patriarch was connected to God. And that patriarch began to bless that child because he understood that child. He blessed Judah different than he blessed Manasseh. He blessed Ephraim different than he blessed... Now notice, he is not actually reading any of the texts where these blessings are found. Yeah, he's just kind of talking about them, but not actually preaching them. Others, because that paternal instinct in that father had an insight into those kids that nobody else had, and he blessed in regard to what he saw and what he wanted to see happen in the lives of his boys. And he blessed all 12 of them. Now you might say, Brother Kilpatrick, how do you bless? I'm so glad you asked me that question. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to show you something powerful. Okay, so apparently Hebrews chapter 11 will teach us how to bless. Hebrews chapter 11. Watch this. How do you bless somebody? Let the Bible do its own preaching. Let it do its own speaking. Look at this. Hebrews chapter 11. Yeah, it's a little late for you to do that. I mean, you've been blocking God's word for, well, two-thirds of this sermon for sure. Verse 20. It says what? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. You see that? Everybody take just a minute with me now, and let's look at this carefully. Let's don't go past this too quick. Look at it with me. Hebrews 11. Yeah, you're kind of missing the point here by taking this out of context. Our three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context, context, context. Hebrews 11 is the great whole of faith passage. Um, yeah, and it talks about how the patriarchs did the things that they did, Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They have been thinking of the land from which they had gone out. They would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By 
faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now notice here, this text is not a passage that teaches us, and here is how you too can bless rather than curse. That's not the subject here. So what Kilpatrick is doing is twisting this text to conform with the false theology that he claims God the Holy Spirit revealed directly to him. And verse 20, the Bible says, by faith. How do you bless somebody? By faith. Yeah, that's not what the text is teaching at all. You don't do it by evidence. Oh, now we're really getting uh, deceitful. You don't do it by evidence. Turn that brain of yours off. Stop looking for evidence. You do this all by faith. In other words, by magic. Just believe because somebody said so. You're doing by faith. Look at what it says. It's powerful. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. And Esau concerning what? Concerning things in their life to come. Look at what it says in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon the top of his staff. How did he do it? By faith. It says by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He did it by faith. If you've got a child... That is a hellion. What that child needs is for you to administer discipline where discipline is necessary and to be firm and disciplined where it needs to be. But what that child also needs is for you to pull that child in and begin to, by faith, start blessing him concerning things to come. Yeah, that's not what Hebrews 11 is teaching at all. And say, son, you are stubborn and you are hard-headed. And God's going to bless that in you, son. God's going to use that in you. He's going to make you a strong leader. And I bless you to just do well in the land. So you have a child breaking the commandment to honor your father and mother and you want to bless them rather than call them to repent and to be forgiven and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Yeah, this is false doctrine all around. That type A personality is going to be so anointed. God's going to make you like a Moses with a bunch of hard-headed Jewish people. And son, I bless you. You get on my nerves sometime, but I bless you because you're different and you're really going to excel and do great in life. Amen? You listening to me? I wish I wasn't because you're totally making a mess. You're not teaching what the scriptures teach at all. Now, let me show you something here. Now, I used to think, as I said, that they were prophesying. And you know, sometimes we, especially in Pentecost, when we get taken up in the things of God, we get real wordy. How many of you knows there's a church here right before revival broke out at Brownsville, they came up with the 17-minute service. In Brownsville, I mean, in Pensacola, there was a church here that came up with a 17-minute service and advertised it in the paper. 
I can't even get my handkerchief out of my Bible. And I can't even get my, 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 my divider here lined up and get my glasses fixed and get me a sip of water in 17 minutes, friend. You see, I've already been going a long time tonight. And I ain't making no apologies because it's Friday night. You ain't got nothing else to do. And you know what? I'm going to finish what I started too. And you're going to like it. You're going to sit there and take it and like it because I bless you to do it. <laughs> Woo! I want to show you something so powerful. You remember, turn to Genesis chapter 24. I'm sorry, I'll find it here in just a minute. Genesis chapter... Yeah, 24. And just hold your finger in Genesis chapter 24. I want to show you something powerful. When I saw this in the Bible, it changed my life. What I'm about to show you changed my life. It's awesome. You see, friend, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have lost something very valuable. From the ending of the canon of Scripture in the New Testament until today in the modern day church, the modern day church has lost sight of one of the most powerful things in the scripture and that is the mystery of a blessing and the power of a blessing, especially spoken by a male figure in a family. You know, one of the reasons the devil fights fathers so much is so there won't be a father there to bless his boys. Yeah, that's a doctrine not taught in Scripture. You are adding to biblical doctrine. And this isn't biblical. This is you. You know, one of the reasons of why the devil fights men so much with adultery and pornography and alcohol and drugs and all kinds of stuff like that, deadbeat dads, one of the reasons why the devil fights them so hard is because they won't be there to bless their boys and their daughters. Again, no text says this. You're just making it up to go with the so-called apparent uh, well, direct revelation that you claim that you received. And if dad's not there to bless them, it's like the devil just comes in on the family and just has his way. That's why I'm saying we need to really get a hold of the mystery of the, and the power of a blessing and get back to doing it and doing it regularly. Amen. Devil, I'm here to tell you tonight you're going to have to turn the fathers loose. God said in the book, Hallelujah. God said in the book of Malachi, I will return in the last days the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Yeah, that's the prophecy of Joel fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And along with that heart being returned, there's going to come a fresh new emphasis on dads beginning to bless their children. And there's going to come... Yeah, this was in the year 2002. It's 2016 now. Has this prophecy um, been fulfilled? Nope. I'm a fresh emphasis of pastors in churches blessing their congregations. You know how I can tear this church up real easy? Get in a bad mood before God, get in a bad mood before my board, get in a bad mood before my family, come in here and just start cursing the people every week. You don't listen. You don't give. You don't attend church. Wah, wah, wah. This is pure superstition. Wah, 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 wah. And just get up here every week and have an awful attitude and just really berate the people with a spirit of condemnation. It scattered the sheep like nobody's business. And that's what the devil wants you to do.
You know, that's exactly why many kids can't wait to turn 18 to leave home. Because all mom can do is fault find. And all dad can do is find some little something with that boy, some little something with that daughter, and just stay on it. And just write them and write them and write them and write them and write them. And they can't wait to turn 18. You know why? I'm getting out of here. They can't stand to have a meal around the table. They can't even eat a pizza for 15 minutes around the kitchen table and have peace. Why? Because so many curses are in the atmosphere of that house, they can't even get together. If Oh no, lots of curses running around in the atmosphere. Maybe we can call the Ghostbusters or the Curse Busters or something like that. They would begin to repent and humble themselves and begin to start forcing themselves to speak blessings. You sit around that table for an hour and a half and the atmosphere would be warm and cozy. Same thing is true in churches. People watch their watch on Sunday mornings, five minutes till 12. Oh my God, when's he going to hush? Oh my God, it's 12 o'clock. Oh my God, it's 12 after. When's he going to hush? The place is so sterile, you can't stand the singing, you can't stand the preaching, you can't stand nothing. Why? Because so many curses have been released by the mouths of those church people against the pastor and against the board and against the choir and against the worship songs and against the staff. You can curse a worship song? I had no idea. Who knew? And everybody's mouth just out of control. That when people come in on Sunday morning, they can't wait to leave. Why? Because the environment's sterile. What would happen across America if people could grab hold of the mystery and power of a blessing? Oh, if only. I mean, the mystery and power of a blessing. If only God had actually, like, you know, explained it to us in the written word of God, then we would all understand the power of the mystery of the blessing thingy. And begin to repent before God and start, instead of cursing their preacher, start blessing him. My, what an anointing he could preach under. My, what a new anointing the choir could sing under. My, what a new anointing where people would want to wait. I remember before revival broke out and I started doing this blessings. You old Brownsville people, you remember this. Listen to me. Before revival broke out in Brownsville, I remember this so distinctly. I was heavy into blessing the congregation. We was doing it on Sunday night. We'd pray. Around the banners, and then we'd have Holy Communion, and then I'd bless the people. I start speaking a blessing for God to bless them and protect them from acts of violence, theft, accidents, diseases. Uh, bless them for peace to be in their home and their marriages, and et cetera, et cetera. And the congregation, just like little sheep, just started, it's like I was stroking them every week, just stroking them. One Sunday, I forgot to dismiss them with a blessing, and I looked up. And I said, God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. And they said, I said, we'll see you Wednesday night. They said, I said, what is it? They said, you didn't bless us. And they wouldn't leave till I blessed them. And I would bless the congregation and the atmosphere kept getting warmer and more unified and sweeter and tender. Until before revival broke out, you know what would happen here in the church? Linda, you remember this. On Sunday nights, I dismissed the people. This is before revival broke out, about a month or two before revival broke out. And people would say, I'd say, we'll see you next Wednesday night. And they'd say, sing another song. Preach a little more. 
How many of you know when a congregation says, preach a little more? Ha ha. Ha ha. Whoa. That's like saying, sick of no bulldog. Amen. Preach a little more. Sing another song. Let the choir sing another song. And you know what we'd do right before revival broke out? I'd go over and sit down in my chair a little, come back up. The choir would sing some more. We'd worship some more. And the kids would leave the audience and leave their parents and come and gather around me. You remember, Richard? They'd stand around me, hug me, sit in my lap, sit around my chair. And it was like the sanctuary became a big living room. After we dismissed. So I wised up there. I got to where I'd come in on Sunday nights and just to conserve time, I'd say, we're so glad to have you tonight. God bless you for coming. We're going to now dismiss. <laughs> going to now dismiss you. God bless you. Thank you for coming. And we got all the religion off right there. And the kids would come up. No, you didn't. You just made up your own religion right there. That's what we call man-made religion. Yeah, in stripes. And they'd say, sing another song. Bless us, pastor. And then they'd pray. We'd have Holy Communion. And Sunday nights got to where there's no religion on it, no formality. It was just like a big living room where people would come together. And that blessing was working. I could see it working. Now, I want to show you something. Watch this. I'm hurrying. I didn't say I'm through. I said I'm hurrying. But now watch this. When I read this scripture in the Bible, this scripture right here is what turned me on and changed my life. You remember when when Abraham sent out Eleazar, his trusted servant, to find a bride for Isaac? You remember? And Eleazar told the Lord, he said, Now, Lord, when I come into this land, he said, "Uh, I'm going to ask you, to conserve time, that the handmaid that comes by and offers me something to drink and my animals, something to drink. He said, Lord, I'll know she's the one. So Eliezer was laying up there with his legs crossed, you know. Had a long journey and this girl come walking up by the name of Rebecca. And she said, sir, can I get you something to drink? He said, why, thank you, ma'am. And she said, could I get you animals something to drink? He got up, he said, Ooh, you're the one. She said, what do you mean I'm the one? He said, my master has sent me on a journey to find a bride for his son. You're the one. And he told her the story. And she said, oh, you've got to come home and tell my mom and dad. I mean, you've got to come home and tell my family. It didn't mention a dad. All it mentioned was a mother. All it mentioned was a mother and a brother. And so, Eliezer went home with her. And he told him the story. He said, I came home assignment by my master to find a bride for his son. And he said, this is the fleece I put out before God. And she met the fleece and she's the one. Can she go with me? And here's what the Bible says. It says, the family says, well, let's call the damsel and let's ask her and see what she says. So if you go back into chapter 24, in verse 55, it says, her brother and her mother said... Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten, and after that she can go. And Eleazar said, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, Well, we'll call the girl, the damsel, and we'll inquire at her mouth. So they called Rebecca, and they said unto her, Will you go with this man? And she said, Yes, I'll go. 
And so look at verse 59. It says, They sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And here it is in verse 60. Everybody look this way just for a minute. I'm going to read you 24 words that changed my life. 24 words. Now, don't count them because I've counted them 10 times at least and recounted them. So it's 60 words. Or 24 words. I'm sorry. 24 words. So don't count them because if you count them, you're going to miss what this says. I can see somebody. I'm going to prove him wrong. One, two, three, four, five. So just take my word for it. There's 24 words. But here's what it said. It said before. Look, look this way, everybody. Before she mounted up on her camel out in the yard to get up on her camel to ride away with Eliezer to go meet a man she'd never even seen. Her brother and her mother got her in the front yard before she mounted up on that camel and they blessed her. And I want you to see what they said. They blessed Rebecca in verse 60. Look at that word blessed. They blessed Rebecca. Didn't say they prayed for her. Said they blessed her. And they said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let your seed possess the gate of those which hate them. Whew. Twenty-four words. You know what we'd have done if we'd have been Pentecostals back then? Yeah, I say, and we'd have written a book. You know, <laughs> twenty-four, 24 words, but they stick to this day. Now let me tell you. It says, "Thou art our sister." Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let your seed possess the gate of them which hate them. Do you know who Rebecca was? Rebecca was going to become the bride of a man by the name of Isaac. Isaac and Rebecca was going to give birth to two twins called Jacob and Esau. Jacob was going to get the blessing from his daddy. His name was going to be changed to Israel. He was going to have 12 sons, which would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And to this day, Israel is surrounded by Islam. Israel is surrounded by an Arab world. They're in the millions that hate Israel. But to this day, Israel still possesses the gates of those that hate them. Yeah, and do you think that's because uh, Rebecca's family blessed her or because of the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob directly from God? Think about it. Can somebody shout amen? (laughs) Talk about missing the point. Yeah, putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, it's all because of Rebecca's family blessing her rather than God promising. Wow. Okay. Thou art our sister. What? I don't know why they're praising God. They should be praising Rebecca's family. I mean, they get all the glory and the credit, right? I need my daddy present. The brother spoke it evidently. And the mother, thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let your seed. She wasn't even married yet. So they were saying she was going to get pregnant. You're not going to be sterile. You're going to get pregnant. And they said, let your seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And in 2002, 
Israel to this day, even last week, intercepted a ship full of arms from the Palestinians, evidently. And Israel is still possessing the gate of those which hate them. And it can be traced all the way back to 24 words spoken in the front yard before she mounted up on a camel. Whoop! Whoop! Yeah, you can't trace it back to any of the promises of God. It goes, all the glory goes to Rebecca's family, right? Yeah. Somebody help me praise the Lord! Suppose they'd have said, now, Rebecca. We don't know about this. You're liable to go off with him. He's liable to knock you in the head about a quarter of a mile down the road. You know what I'm saying? Just put fear all over. Try to control her. No, you need to stay here with us. No. They spoke a blessing. And when I saw those 24 words, I counted them and recounted them and recounted them. I said, 24 words. My God, 24 words. What's weird is that, like, he's the first person in all of Christian history to uh, figure this out. And, and the way he was able to figure it out was via a direct revelation that apparently somehow God must have forgotten to put into the Bible itself. You see... It's not that the story isn't in the Bible. It's just that this doctrine regarding cursing and blessing um, is actually never explained in Scripture until, you know, the year 2002, when when the Lord, the word of the Lord came to the prophet John Kilpatrick. Uh huh. Has stuck through thousands of years. And I said, if that 24 words was powerful enough to stick down through these years, how powerful is our words? Oh, yeah. We're, we're really powerful, apparently. Yeah, see, notice now how powerful are you, your words. You, you're godlike. I mean, this is all now about you and your power and your glory. How powerful is our words that we speak in the way of a curse or a blessing? You following me? Uh, stay with me for just another minute and I'm closing. I seriously doubt that, and the nervous chuckle in the audience means he ain't closing in a minute. Turn to, <laughs> turn to Ruth chapter 4. I want to show you something else that happened here at Brownsville. Watch this. Something else happened here at Brownsville. In Ruth chapter 4, there's something that happened in Brownsville. Okay. Well, we're hearing a lot about John Kilpatrick. Oh, in Brownsville. Zero about Jesus. Uh, repentance, forgiveness of sins. Biblical text preaching, preached in context. I mean, he went more than 40 minutes without even cracking open a Bible. I need some more of this. Charlie, thank you, buddy. After I spoke blessings over the choir, after I spoke blessings over the congregation, 
over the sections of pews, blessings over myself with the olive oil on my tongue, blessings over my family, blessings over the congregation. And I wrote the blessing out one day without stopping. God was really building that in my spirit. I came across Ruth. And when I saw Ruth, what happened in the book of Ruth, it changed the way I did weddings forever. Brother Sonny, stand up back there. You and Ann, when your daughter was married, Andre, here in the church, you spoke a blessing over your daughter right here at this altar. <coughs> Many of you others throughout the church here have done the same thing. Sonny and Ann, some of our old Brownsville people, has been here with for a few years. And so whenever I saw this in the book of Ruth, it changed my life. And the Lord said, I don't want another wedding to happen in Brownsville without the father speaking a blessing over his daughter. Just in Brownsville. I mean, apparently this isn't a universal doctrine that's supposed to be applied everywhere. No, just at Brownsville, you know. The father of the groom speaking a blessing over his son. If there is no father, let the stepfather do it. If there's no stepfather, let the uncle do it. If there's no uncle, let the brother do it. And if there's no brother, you do it. You speak the blessing as a pastor, but don't let another wedding happen in this church without letting the groom and the bride be blessed by an authority figure. Because back in our time, so many people couldn't get the blessings of their dad and mom over the one they chose to marry, and they would elope. And to this day, many people never got the blessings of their dad or their mom for the man they chose or for the woman they chose, and they have hobbled through the rest of their marriage because of that. You need to listen to me. And watch this. So I read this concerning Ruth and Boaz. You remember Ruth followed Naomi, and Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. You remember? And so Boaz said to Ruth, I want you, I want you to be my wife. And so he was a well-respected man in the gates of the city. And not only was a kinsman redeemer, but everybody in Bethlehem loved him. And so when he found Ruth, he fell head over heels in love with her, and he wanted to marry her. And so the people loved Boaz so much, they came to the wedding, and then at his wedding, they blessed Boaz and Ruth. When I saw this scripture, this is what changed me forever in regard to weddings at Brownsville when I saw this scripture. Now, if this is a real doctrine that we're all supposed to be believing and practicing, I mean, after all, the Lord did reveal this to John Kilpatrick. Why is this only being applied at, at Brownsville? Why hasn't John Kilpatrick, you know, sit down and, and write the epistle of Brownsville, you know, chronicling all the direct revelations from God and the new doctrine regarding, you know, blessing and cursing? and have it added to the back of our Bible so that every church on planet Earth that calls itself Christian will get in line with this new teaching and new doctrine regarding blessing and cursing at weddings and things like that. Hmm? Another wedding, to my knowledge, that I have done for sure, and I spread the word throughout all my staff pastors and throughout all the authority in the church here at Brownsville, anybody that does weddings... Everybody that comes down that aisle is to be blessed by a father, an uncle, a brother, a mother, or either a pastor. Is that understood? And from that day to this one, it's happened. I don't know of a one that's escaped out of here without it. And here's what it said. Ruth chapter 4. It says in verse 11, And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. 
And then they blessed Ruth and Boaz. And they said, The Lord make the woman that is coming to your house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem, and let thy house be like the house of Pharez, whom Tamar bare to Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. Now that's 63 words. That blessing is a 63-word blessing, and it was spoken by the people when Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. 63 words. Now, what did it say? One of the things it said is, be famous in Bethlehem. Isn't it interesting, when Boaz married Ruth, she was the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Where was Jesus born? In Bethlehem. What did they say when they blessed them? Right, if it wasn't for them blessing, you know, Boaz and Ruth in this way, I mean, Jesus could have been born in Poughkeepsie, you know. It could have happened anywhere. They said, be famous in Bethlehem. You never know what comes out of your mouth whenever you start blessing. Conversely, you never know what comes out of your mouth whenever you get really worked up and start speaking a curse either. I want to ask one question and I'm going to move on. I want to ask one question. Why in the name of God would you speak a curse over your pastor when you want your pastor to love you, feed you, be anointed, and help the church? Why, Why in the name of God would you say anything different? i got another question. Why in the name of God would a man that you chose to be your husband in good faith and put a ring on his finger... Put a ring on her finger as your wife. Why in the name of God would you say anything different about your wife or your husband than loving her and dreaming with her and blessing her to become all that you desire your marriage to be? Why would you say anything different? Why? Why would a home have sterile environment where kids just can't wait to get out? Why would a... A church and a congregation. Be so- yeah, it's all about word curses, apparently, not about you know our fallen sin- sinful nature and things like that. Yeah, all, it's all up to you, man. Are you using your words to bless or curse? It's yeah. Well, there you go. So sterile that everybody hated to come to church, and they just kept watching their watch. They hate the singing. They hate everybody. They hate the preaching. But they just come out of religious duty, and they just can't wait to get out. Why would you want to live your life like that? Not me, friend. Not me. And I'm willing to bite the bullet and to go against the tide and speak blessings even when I... Oh, yeah. He's so brave, man. I mean, wow. I mean, in the face of all of these grumbly people who are apparently cursing without even knowing they're cursing, he's going to stand against the hurricane of curses. And he's going to be brave and he is going to bless. Oh, Man, Kilpatrick is our savior, apparently. I want to speak curses. Can you say amen? I've seen some funny stuff. Now, in the weddings, I would say to the daughter, whenever I'd counsel her, and I'd say, are you going to have your wedding? It's going to be when? October the 24th. Okay. Now, you know your daddy's got to speak a blessing over you, don't you? Oh, Brother Kilpatrick, he'll faint. My daddy is so nervous, he's even nervous about putting on a tuxedo. Pastor, my daddy is so backward. He Notice how legalistic now he's become with this direct revelation from God.
Wow. He's nervous about saying her mother and I. If he has to say a blessing, Pastor, he'll have a, a panic attack. I said, well, we'll help him with it. She said, are you serious? My daddy's got to say it. I said, yep. So most of the couple who marry Christians and their parents are Christians, but a lot of them are not. I still make the old heathens bless their daughters anyway. I do, brother. Make them bless them. Just come right down here and bless them. And so I give them three options. I say you can just lift your veil, put your hand over her face and speak the blessing over right out of your heart on behalf of you and your wife. And if you can't do that out of your heart, I'm going to let you read it. I'm going to let you write it down and you'll have to read it. You'll have to pick up a microphone you'll have to read it. Now, if you can't do that, you'll have to record it on a CD player riding down a country road somewhere and you pick up truck. But you're going to record it and we'll play it on the sound system and you're going to lift her veil, put your hand over her face and we'll play that blessing, but you're going to bless her one way or the other or there won't be a wedding in this church. I have seen daddies come up here and you know, it's so wonderful. (laughs) The bride comes down the aisle. She's so prissy and beautiful, you know, and Bubba's right beside her. Bubba's a big old redneck when he walks down the aisles. And they come down the aisle, you know, to get married. So the Christian dad comes out and he lays his hand on her and he says, Sweetheart, you've been such a pleasure to raise. And your mom and I are so proud of you today. We now bless you, baby, to be released to become the bride of Bubba. And we warmly receive him into our hearts. You know, and may God bless you to be the queen of your home. May your body be blessed so it'll be fertile in God's time. You'll be able to bear children, our grandchildren. May they be whole and happy. We bless you for your home to be peaceful. And, you know, just it's just wonderful. And the daddy just blesses out of his heart. You know, very few of them ever read it. And then Bubba's standing there, and his daddy has never known God, never been in church. He looks so out of place in the tuxedo. His hands is chapped in big old hams of hands. And I say, now, ladies and gentlemen, the father of the groom is going to bless his son. Better hear what I say, boy. Tell you right now, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to hold down a job. What you going to do, boy? Hey, what you going to do? You're going to make good money. You're going to have a salary for them youngins. You're going to pay your bills on time. I'm not going to raise your kids for you. You're going to make money. I ain't going to support you. You're going to do good in life. You hear what I say? Whether you like it or not, you're going to do good. That's my blessing. You know what?
Just imagine how better off the U.S. economy would be if all of the churches would just obey this new revelation from God. We're laughing, but you look at Bubba. Bubba's standing there crying because it's the first positive words his daddy's ever spoken over him. I'm going to close with this story, I promise you. One last story. Is it found in the Bible? When I got through, this is one last story. Doesn't sound like it. Story, I promise you. Don't laugh, friend. Don't laugh. I will go on if you continue to laugh at me. See? 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 I'll tell you one more sweet story. When I got through preaching on blessings in Brownsville years ago, Mr. Empire of a Blessing, there was a guy in our church. I seen him here for about a year or two. And he was really a, a nice young man. Didn't know his name. He was here in the youth group. And he never really kept his hair combed much. His shirt tail was always sort of hanging out. You know, sort of, he had a slouchy look about him. He never really had any friends that I could see. He was pretty well a loner. So after I preached this in Brownsville, and I began to speak the blessing over the crowd, and you know, and all that kind of stuff, and it really made a difference in the church. And this young man came up to me one Sunday night for service, and he said, Can I tell you a quick story, Pastor? I said, Hey, man, nice to meet you. I said, Yeah, tell me a story. He said, Well, I, I've always been intimidated before to meet authority figures like yourself. He said, I could never talk to you before. But he said, Man, I, I want to just tell you the story. He said, Pastor, I have heard your series on mystery and power of a blessing. And he said, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. He said, it saved my life. And he said, I was raised by the hair of the head. I was raised real hard. He said, there was never any love in our home. My daddy was a rough, rough man. He said, Brother Kilpatrick, he said, after I heard you preach, on mystery and power of a blessing, he said, I really began to realize I was missing something in my life. And he said, I drove home my old beat up car. I drove all the way back to Ohio and went back to the old neighborhood where my dad still is. He didn't mention his mother. He said, where my daddy still lives in the house I was raised in. And he said, I drove up in front of the house. And he said... When I knocked on the door, he said, my daddy came to the door and hadn't seen me in years. And he said, what do you want? He said, well, daddy, um, I come home to ask you for something. That's what I thought. I told you when you was growing up, you was a deadbeat. I told you, you'd never amount to nothing. I told you when you was growing up, you'd always be a nobody. And look. Just what I said has come to pass. You've come back on your hands and knees wanting me to help you. You need something, huh? That's just what I told you would happen. He said, Daddy. He said, it's not like you think. Well, if it's not like I think, what is it? He said, Daddy, I'm living in Florida and I've been going to this church down there. And he said, I, my pastor has been preaching on the mystery and power of a blessing. And he said, it has so helped me, Dad. And he said, I really realized something. He said, I really realized that I've been hobbling through life handicapped. And he said, I have really come to realize I need your blessings. 
in my life. And his daddy's just an old heathen. And he said, Daddy, I have driven all the way up here to come back and ask you, you, would you consider, I don't want your money, don't need your money, and I don't want anything else from you, Daddy, but... You know, he said, uh, I know coming up our life was rough and I know that you, your nerves was bad and, you know, things was bad a lot of times. But he said, Daddy, I love you and I have respect for you and I have such respect for you. I need your blessing. And I wonder, Daddy, would you just consider just thinking about it? He's still standing on the porch now of his own house. He said, would you consider, just consider speaking a blessing over me and he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, I'll go in my old bedroom and I'll pull a chair up and face the wall. You won't even have to look at me. And he said, you just think about it and take your time. You know, you just walk around and take your time. He said, if you think of something you think would be good to say over me. He said, just come in there and just, just lay your hand on me. And just lay it on my head or on my shoulder somewhere and just say it over me. If you feel like you, you know, can think of something good you'd like to say. Because I really need you, Daddy. He said, his daddy, he said, Daddy, can I come in? He said, well, come on. He said, he walked in the house. and He said, he went right back to his bedroom and pulled a chair up and faced the wall. Boy, Kilpatrick's quite the storyteller, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, this story is designed to be a testimonial to the truthfulness and the, the power of this new revelation that he's received from God, which is actually not explained anywhere in the Bible the way he's explaining it. So, you know, we need these testimonials so that you can feel, oh, man, this is going to change my life. Uh, you know, fathers are going to go blessing their children, and the whole world's going to turn around. And he's not actually teaching the Scriptures at all. Um, he's using the Scriptures to support the claim of the direct revelation that he received from God. The prophet of note is John Kilpatrick, not Isaiah or Jeremiah or even one of the apostles. No, 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 no. This is all about Kilpatrick and, and him receiving this direct revelation. He's giving us something we can't get anywhere else except for Brownsville, you know. And he said he heard his daddy begin to pace. And he said he paced and paced and paced and paced and paced. He said, Pastor, I thought he would never come in that room. He said, I sat there and I watched the shadows on the wall. I hummed to myself. I quoted scripture. He said, I thought he'd never come in there. He said, finally, after a long period of time, I don't know how long. He said, I heard him when he walked back across the hall. He said, I heard his feet turn in the bedroom. And he said, he gently, slowly walked up to my backside. And he said, I thought he would never part his lips to say a word to me. And he said he walked up so close behind me I could hear him breathe. And he said the first thing I felt from my daddy was not his hand on my head or my back. He said I felt water dripping down my collar. And he said when I felt that water going down my collar, he said the fountains of the great deep of my emotions just broke. But I didn't want to spook him. He said I began to sob. And he said, the water just kept dripping down my collar. I could hear it splattering on the cloth of my shirt. And he said, finally, he lifted his hand 
and put it on the back of my shoulder like this right here. And he said that was the first time I'd ever felt my daddy's tender hand on my body in my life. And he said after he put his hand on my shoulder, it's like he had to get acclimated to even that. And he said I thought his lips would never part. He said, but it was so quiet in that room. He said, when his lips parted to speak, I heard his lips part. It was so quiet. And he said, the first words out of his mouth was this. I am so sorry, son. And he said, after he said that, I am so sorry. He said, more drip, drip, drip. And he said, finally, I heard his lips part again. And he said, son, all I have ever done is curse you. He said, but today, I ask you to forgive me. And he said, I want to give you my blessing. And he said, son, I bless you. And he said, pastor, when my daddy said, son, I bless you, he said, so help me, the Holy Ghost hit him. Really, the Holy Ghost hit him without the preaching of the Word of God, just out of nowhere? Hmm. The Holy Ghost hit him, and he said the anointing came on him, and he said you would have thought he was a Pentecostal preacher. (laughs) He said he started just blessing me. Son, I bless you! I bless you to do good in life. And he said, he just started crying out loud. And he said, he raised his voice. And he said, he blessed me. And he said, pastor, when he started blessing me, he said, it was like a hand went down and massaged my insides. Every word he said, just went in and just massaged my insides. And he said, when it was over, he said, I felt like somebody wrapped a warm blanket around me and just cuddled me. He said, I stood up and hugged my daddy, and he hugged me. And he told me again to my face, I love you. And he said, Pastor, from the day I left his house, he said, I've lost weight. I said, I thought you'd drop some weight, boy. He said, I got me a girlfriend. I said, I saw that too. (laughs) And I said, you got that hair comb, boy, and you got that shirt telly, and you're looking good, all right. He said, for the first time I've got confidence, Pastor. He said, now I'm talking to people. He said, I don't feel intimidated anymore. He said, I feel outgoing. He said, I feel like I'm a new man. Why? Because a daddy that had done nothing but ever speak curses over him. The boy took a risk and went home and said, Daddy, would you please speak a blessing over me? I wish that everybody in this church could have a happy ending like that. I don't have a happy ending to my life. My father left me when I was 12. I've been pastor in Brownsville for 20 years. In 1985, my father took cancer. He married two more times after he left my mother. He was married seven times. I'm his only child out of seven marriages. I didn't know about the mystery and power of a blessing back then. And when he took sick in 85 in January... From January through March, he died March the 31st. And I went up to see him about the second week of March. And when I got to the place where he was, a little house, 
he was so blue, he was almost unconscious. And I called an ambulance. And I had him taken to the hospital in Dalton, Georgia. And when they got him in the hospital, they resuscitated him, put oxygen on him and all, and resuscitated him. And we was in the emergency room. And I was walking outside, really concerned about him, you know. And I remember walking by, and I saw him lean up with the oxygen mask on and leaned up on his elbow, and he said, Who brought me here? And I stuck my head in, and I said, Daddy, I did. I said, I... I came to visit you and I said, you was blue and almost unconscious. And I said, you was almost dying. I said, I brought you here to get get you some help. He said, don't you ever bring me into a place like this again. He said, let me tell you what you do. And he started cursing me. You get your blankety blank self back down to Florida and don't you ever come see me again. And he lit into me. And it broke my heart, man. Now, that's all of the audio that I have for that particular sermon, but I think you get the point. Forty-plus minutes of him rambling on about himself, claiming that he received direct revelations from God, making that the main point and the main doctrine in his sermon, and then hunting and pecking, if you would, hunting and searching for out-of-context verses that he can make look like they support the doctrine that he's teaching via direct revelation. Yeah, sorry, From start to finish, this was a complete and invisible twisting of God's Word and a manipulation. That's what that was. That was not biblical doctrine. That was man-made doctrine. That was as religious as you can get, because that is exactly what religion is. It's man-made religion. That was as man-made as it—well, it doesn't get any more man-made than that. I think you get the point. Who was lost in all this? Christ and Him crucified for us. And who was the hero of the story? Oh yeah, John Kilpatrick. Because he's the guy who who bravely did what God told him to do via direct revelation. Was Brownsville a legitimate revival? None of the doctrine that we have evaluated, none of the preaching that we have evaluated lends us to believe with any doubt that this was not a revival from God the Holy Spirit. This was deception from beginning to end. What would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.